0: Hugo, you are not the first lottery winner to believe the money's brought him nothing but trouble. It's all in your head. What, you don't believe in jinxes? You know, curses? I'm an accountant. I believe in numbers. Where'd you get them anyway?
1: What? The winning numbers. What'd you use? Somebody's
0: birthday. Phone number. No, it's nothing. It's just something that I... uh... What? That's it. It's not the money, it's the numbers. The numbers are cursed. Dude, don't look at me like that. I'm not crazy. This is real. Come on, Hugo, listen to yourself. The numbers are cursed. You know there is no such thing as a... (laughs)
2: podcast here on poster recaps i'm josh wiggler i'm joined here by mike bloom as we are in full free fall down the hatch talking about the first ever hurley podcast uh flashback i don't know why i said podcast before flashback
3: it is technically the first hurley podcast it is well
2: yeah it is it is
3: but Josh, before we go further i just want to let you know it's your turn and connect for like i don't want to stymie the game too much while we're podcasting here uh, so if we want to try multitasking, uh, you took red, so I believe you're next. How are your Connect Four skills? Are you a good Connect Fourer? Uh, well, I think the commercial really underlined the main strategy that can get people, which is getting diagonally. You know, ah. we we view things in in so much uh, vertically and horizontally. That's how Will Shorts has made a living in this world, and diagonally really represents thinking outside the box outside the grid as it were so i feel like the commercial maybe almost sabotaged that strategy in showing how sneaky the sister was that it's something that i personally was always looking out for but yeah i I would say you know uh from my day camp skills i think i had gotten to a solid like c plus connect four game wasn't uh connect Four a challenge on survivor south africa uh yes actually the island of secrets and hurley is on an island with many secrets so maybe that's why the connect four comes into play
2: yeah absolutely all right Four play the connect four play uh connect eight play 15 play 16 play uh 23 play and 42 play as we are talking about numbers here on down the hatch mike what a delight here we are talking hurley hurley flashback time you you know me, and you know that I'm a Trisha Tanaka stand for life, and I cannot wait to get to that episode in five years or so. Uh but I'm just so happy that we now have numbers on the board, that we now have a Hurley Rich episode to talk about. I mean,
3: Hurley does get rich in this episode, it, so you're very
2: genuinely. Right. I mean, it's just I don't know. I mean, there's there's heaviness here, like there's there's definitely like some 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 serious drama in the episode and like sadness as well, but there's just so much fun freaking light here as well uh and it's so much fun this is just such a blast of an episode and i'm so excited to dig into it
3: yeah the thing about loss is i think it's a very underratedly funny yeah yes. at times well especially as of late right when we were dealing with the ethan stuff and claire getting abducted and then even the stuff with Jin last episode and sort of like the schism between him and son where we're wading into the dark territory and i think that It's very enigmatic that the Hurley episode is probably the lightest ones of the season, maybe one of the funniest Lost episodes across the entire series. Granted, it's very dark material that we're still making uh, comedy out of, but I think it still is wall-to-wall one of the funniest episodes of Lost, and that's sort of what Hurley has represented up to this point. But I think this episode shows Hurley in a brand new light uh, as well. It's not just the light, it's different shades of light. Here's something I want to postulate, Josh— And this is sort of looking down the rabbit hole at Down the Hatch. We have this episode in numbers. We have next up the big John Locke episode, Deus Ex Machina. And then we have the Jack Shepard, Boone Death, Aaron Birth episode, Do No Harm. Is this the best three episode stretch in Lost History? Wow. I I, I think it's it's tough to say that it's not at least up there. So, yeah, I, I think certainly up there. I don't want to spoil the scores that
2: I am handing out for these next three episodes other than to say I'm hard-pressed to think of a three-episode stretch that is going to rival it. Um, except for except for one that does come to mind, uh, which is the end of season three. There's a really mm. great rush at the end of season three uh, where it's, it's from the brig to the man behind the curtain – uh to greatest hits to the two-part through the looking glass um and that i think that to me i think is the is the best stretch of the show uh, oh, yeah i'm it's just yeah. like th- th- those are going to be 4.2 is all the way across the board for sure I,
3: I mean i'm excited to get to that in you know a year and a half or so but yeah i mean people say that this the back half of you know post Rider strike season three might be, or I guess post-hiatus season three, when I said, let's get an endgame in picture, might be one of the strongest stretches in the show's history. And I'm so excited to get to that. And yeah, I mean, those are monster episodes one right after the other one right after the other but But we're in a really
2: good stretch right now like we're we're, like you're you're definitely not wrong that the that the that the that the journey from numbers through do no harm is going to be and and a lot of them like very tonally different across the way yeah Uh, like this is going to be the the lighter one you know this like a very necessary comic relief episode before we get into the very depressing existential journey quest uh, vision quest that Locke goes on that ends almost fatally for for Boone in that episode and then does end fatally in Lost does ER in in Do No Harm her. Uh, you know it's just it's it it's just three very different episodes that are of such a high quality uh that it's it, it's hard to rival it but i i think that it exists out there i think that that season three stretch for sure you'd have to look at some of the others um
3: yeah i'd love even- to hear that the hatchlings as well because i know obviously their thoughts are going to differ from our own spoiler alert for the uh for the 4.2 star section but i would love to hear from people about you know yeah. is there a stretch in season four or season five or god willing even season six uh, that is really up there in terms of streaks of episodes. 100%. All right. Well, we are going to have the 1516 Others
2: section later on in this podcast. Of course, we are uh, we are recording this in a in a binge order, as we've said multiple times. So you can still send us feedback down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com is the way to do that. But you are now sending in feedback that is going to be read on our Season 1 feedback Finale. Uh, We will do a big show at the end of season one once we have cleared Exodus. So all feedback is going towards that end of season special, Uh, not the episode starring uh, Harold Perrineau as Michael Dawson. Uh, With that said, Mike, let's go forth into the jungle. Let's talk about numbers. Uh, directed by Dan Atias, written by David Fury and Brent Fletcher. I will say
3: I, I'm not entirely sure whose voice you're yeah. doing. It sounds a bit like Ernie from Sesame Street. I'm not sure if that's what it's you're a, going for. It's
2: a it's a TEOS thing. It's a it's a it's a Tony Vlacos thing. Oh, uh, okay. I was <laughs> going to say
3: we we haven't gone to Sarah yet. That's yeah. in a couple of
2: episodes. This this episode numbers is also an episode of Comfort. Uh, this episode uh, it's centered on Hurley. It originally aired March second. 2005 and hurley is going to bring us one last entry from the official series bible i believe we've got one more that we won't get to until season two holy um, moly is, is that is that true is this yeah
3: i guess we, yeah we have gone through the, the mainstays everybody. at the moment everybody oh everybody
2: except shannon we haven't done shannon yet Uh, Shannon, we'll we'll talk about Shannon when we get to her episode two. Yes. Uh, But this is what they wrote about Hurley in the series Bible. I'm just going to read it, and then we will have a lot to discuss. (laughs) Hurley was born into a vast Puerto Rican family, instilling him with two great survival skills, a deep abiding love of food and an amiable ability to rest peace from the thorniest of family feuds. Unable to attend college, he is not what some may call quote unquote book smart, Hurley parlayed his skills into a career in asset recovery. A repo man! (laughs) Able to talk anyone out of anything. Hurley's talent landed him in Sydney, where hours before getting on the oceanic flight, he talked a former millionaire into turning over his yacht. On the island, Hurley will be the one who responds to all of the strangeness with the bewilderment of an average Joe. He is the everyman. Not to mention the primary source of our, Comic Relief!
3: Wow. That's Who knew really... <laughs> Lost Riders were such a big fan of the Emilio Estevez 1984 fantasy comedy Repo Man? Yeah,
2: <laughs> I certainly didn't. This is news to me. Um, except we talked about this a little bit uh, way back in the day at the start of Down the Hatch uh, when we were comparing some of the the material in the in the series bible to where the show eventually goes, and we've been acknowledging the series bible wherever we could. Uh, you know that those days are starting to die. Um, But I think what we've what we've taken away from most of those entries about the characters is like, while some details would be a little bit off, a lot of like the essences of these characters would be really intact. I think Hurley's is one of the most off the marks. He's obviously not a repo man. That is definitely not his job. Uh, This idea that he could talk anyone out of anything. That's like that sounds like a very lucky man. Uh, What they actually
3: do with Hurley is the exact opposite, that he is like the unluckiest person in the world. Oh, that's interesting that you uh, credit the luck thing to it. I think it's more so like, hey, here's Sawyer's uh, either biggest rival or partner in crime, and that he can convince somebody to do anything. It's just very odd. I don't know if a repo man necessarily needs to be the most persuasive career choice, right? Isn't it just go to somebody's house and say, I'm mandated by my company to do this? Like, there's not a lot of negotiating involved in that? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think, like,
2: you just, like, show up to somebody and, like, take the thing, right? You just... You repo the thing. I guess I haven't seen the movie Repo Man with Jude Law, which I understand is a very accurate portrayal of the modern day Repo Man. Uh, Definitely not a sci-fi movie of any kind. It's just a straight adaptation of of the life no fi only sigh only sigh um let's actually bring another into this part of the podcast because i do think that hurley's journey from like what they sketched out for him to what they actually started to flesh out for him in the in the doing of the show is worth mentioning uh and this initially comes from javier griot marks watch uh, the 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 great lost writer who wrote the lost will and testament. I, I feel like we need so a uh,
3: segment written called Javier and Mark's Watch Watch. Yes. where we just read his own. <laughs> I mean, Watsman. I know I know that uh, you know we're starting to much like the series bible entries. Uh, Javier's input is going to start to winnow a bit as we head out of season one, but I feel like he's just been so season vital. Two down will the will
2: Definitely still be vital. I think I think that we will we will be coming back to this for a little while yet. Um, but this is what he wrote about Hurley. He says, for most of season one, none of us could create a past that fit the tremendous charm that Jorge Garcia brought to the role of Hurley. Everything we came up with seemed to diminish the character that was actively evolving out of the lovely alchemy between the writer's inspiration and the actor's interpretation of our work. For a long time, we had the idea that Hurley's real secret was that because he was such an amiable sort, he was the world's most successful repo man and had been in Australia to repo a wayward tech millionaire's yacht. Hurley's mutant ability in this version of his story was that through his unassuming best friend-to-the-world demeanor, he could talk anyone out of anything. Needless to say, no one could make that story work, and we really tried. Uh, so that's, that's the background on Hurley as a repo man.
3: Yeah, I don't know how I feel about Jedi Hurley, where he just waves his hand and is able to say, like, I will take your yacht. It feels maybe, I know that obviously we're going to get into probably the most mystical element uh, or probably the most sci-fi element of the show so far in the numbers, and I think some feel like maybe, and especially the way the numbers played out, uh, some feel that may have crossed the line, but I don't know about Hurley being given a quote-unquote mutant ability. That feels like a bit a bit of a dark territory that we would want to avoid.
2: Yeah, you know what's what's fascinating to me, though, is like, in a way, by the end of the series, they fig- they cracked the Repo Man idea. You know in 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 a way like that's sort of what Hurley becomes like when when in, in a couple of different ways uh he's the he's the first person that Desmond breaks in the sideways right like he's mm. the he's the first person that uh that Desmond gets to wake up to to realize who he was before he died, uh, to remember his life before. Uh, And then Hurley sort of takes on this energy of like this guy with a big secret, who's going around and convincing everybody to wake up. There's something of a repossession quality to Hurley in the sideways, but also what he ends up getting at the end of the series uh, that he is going to be the man that inherits the Island. And, I think it would be fun to do an official Down the Hatch podcast on the new man in charge. Oh, definitely. When we we finish the end, I think we should do an epilogue as well. Uh, Because I think that that Hurley that you see in the one scene that he's in there is like a totally different Hurley. He's like a much more confident guy. He comes to Walt and he comes to Walt and like basically like. Charms him into being like, come back to the island with me. We've got stuff there, and it's where you're supposed to go. So Javier mentions that like we tried really hard to make that
3: story work, and I think it just took like six seasons to get there. It's interesting. I don't know why I'm so fixated on this preposition choice, but I guess for me, I I can't stop thinking about. They said, you know, he can talk anyone out. Right. of anything that feels like a different meaning to me than talk anyone in i i anything. hear you. yeah sure like out makes it feel like i don't know like a hostage negotiator you know which i think hurley maybe more so plays a role in that regard than someone like sawyer who as a con man is more likely to talk someone into doing something yeah hurley, but I, hurley is much the much better person to de-escalate the situation as we see from the show and i think that that's what they figured out i think i think and and there was a damon uh, damon lindelof
2: interview with vox where he talked about how um you know they 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 called him out from that scene from Curb Your Enthusiasm. And they watched that and like we got to get that guy on the show. Uh, and they didn't. Are really you sure it was a-
3: him or just a guy who looked like him?
2: It's hard hard to know. Uh, but they they felt like. That they were they were having a hard time cracking him. This is a quote from Lindelof where he says, We really struggled with what makes Hurley dark and tortured. What's his secret? I just don't buy that he killed anyone. <laughs> there was this idea for a while that he was a repo man or something like that, and that's what he was doing in the show, but none of it felt right until we came up with the lottery winner idea because at the time I'd read a book about how miserable lottery winners are once they win the lottery, that there's a disproportionate rise in their suicide rate, especially if you go from some level of poverty to being fabulously filthy rich overnight and it was like, oh, he's not tortured, he's just sad, and he, like, feels this immense relief because he doesn't really have the money anymore. Like, here on the island, he gets to go back to what he was before he won this stuff because no one was going to define him by by his millions of dollars, but he's still cursed. These numbers have followed him to the island. He can't escape them. Uh, so that's great. Like, I think that that's when they, like, They like repoed the repo man idea. They're like, no, that's not going to work. We need to lean into the fact that what Jorge Garcia is giving us is like this huge beaming beam of light, like this incredible energy of warmth and comedy and levity in the show that is often so, so bleak. And also find ways to make that person have shades of darkness within him. And I think that they are very successful in that. Uh, I think when when you do like the, the conversation of who's the best character on Lost, I think sometimes maybe a little bit oddly Hurley doesn't get mentioned all that often. And I think part of that is because it's such a given. Right. Like mm-hmm. it's it's so obvious that Hurley is one of the very best characters on this show. He is unlike anybody else on television before him or after him. He is uh, he's this great, big hearted hero. And it's it's lovely to me that this character, this this series regular, this main player who they struggled with so much in figuring out how to how to make him work into this tapestry of tortured people. That they had to like get this far into the season, 18 episodes in before they could really deliver uh, like a worthy flashback episode that not only did they knock it out of the park with the flashback episode when they finally got there, but that this is the guy, this guy who was a bit of a blank slate or at least was a bit of a puzzle box in his own right. This is the guy who wins the island. This is the guy mm. who is the new man in charge at the end of the
3: thing. Yeah, need, I think just, we, the the journey of the construction of the character is fabulous to me. Yeah, we need Hera Perano's wife though to formally announce become the new leader. <laughs> <That's right>. Yeah, <laughs> I I think that it's tough to say best because Bess is obviously a unique qualifier. I will say I think he is the most one of the most fleshed out characters on the entire show, uh, and I think that's even just like outside of flashbacks. I would say that like characters like Locke, Jack, and Kate have more exposure in their flashbacks, but. As we'll get into, you know, down the line, it almost becomes a bit derivative and repetitive sometimes where we know, okay, we know this characteristic. Hurley, I feel like they hid a really nice, happy medium with a lot of his flashbacks of just showing who he is as a person. You know, I feel like we were properly sucked with the characterization of Hurley, whereas maybe we overate a bit as an audience when it comes to some of these other main characters. And what I love about it as well is it's sort of the rise of Hurley, too. I mean, Hurley's going to become... A much more integral to the point where I would say he's like a main character aside, beside you know your Jacks and your Locks and your Kate. Starting with like, I think once he be- really becomes like a member of the Oceanic Six, like I think the back half of the series is really when he becomes like a quote unquote central character. But it's for good reason because Jorge Garcia and Hurley just bring such an interesting element to the dynamic that it's almost necessary amidst all the chaos that's going on around them.
2: Yeah, but I think it might be instructive since you know this, the, the, we're doing this with the benefit of hindsight that's that's one of the lovely things about down the hatch is that we're talking about this show and we're talking about these early episodes, knowing the full picture, even if some of those aspects of the fuller picture are a little bit blurry because we haven't revisited them in a while or certainly like talked through some of that later game stuff but we we know what his endpoint is. We know that he's the guy who is in charge of the island by the end of the show so when you when you when you know that that's where we're driving towards in the Dharma van, when you know that that's what we're plowing towards, uh then you can look back at even moments earlier than the ones that we've that, that we're about to talk about today, uh, but certainly today, this being his very first episode, it's instructive to look at Lost as Hurley's story in in many ways that Hurley is the hero of this story uh and there are a lot of different hero moments for Hurley this episode is a humongous hero moment for Hurley uh it's a it's a very heroic adventure that he goes on in this episode uh and it's gonna be great to break down from that quality but there are other situations along the way throughout Lost where Hurley was front and center um he is gonna be Firmly in the A-team category for the finale, right? Like, he is going to be on that mission to the Hatch in Exodus. He is part of that squad. He is, once again, part of the A-plot in the Season 2 finale, uh, where he is going to be one of the names on Michael's list to bring to the others. Uh, And he's going to be set free to, to go back to the camp uh, to let them know what happened here because people will uh, will will trust the word of Hurley like even the others recognize in Hurley that he has a powerful voice within that community season 3 he's not part of the A-team but he is he is the deus ex machina I mean yes, right? he, he has
3: a van so he's
2: part of the technical A-team right? <laughs> yeah that's right that's right he's got the A-team van uh, where he is going to he's going to save the day he's going to make sure that everybody makes it out of there okay and then as soon as we get out of that he's going to have the very first flashback in season four, uh, where like that is typically the jack spot. Uh, and, and Hurley now taking that over does give you this sense that the back half of Lost, book two of Lost, Hurley really is in the driver's seat in a big way. He's starting to see Jacob's cabin at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like they're really starting to to seed his story front and center at that point, but it's already there uh, up to that point. Um, so I think it's it's just not something that we've spent a ton of time talking about, this idea of like, no, they didn't turn Hurley into a Jedi in the Repo Man sense of, like, he can talk you out of anything. You know, these aren't the droids you're looking for and all of that. But I do think that he is in that Skywalker seat to a certain degree. And it's really fun to look at the character from that perspective.
3: Oh, Hurley's a Mary Sue confirmed by Josh. <laughs> oh, God. Well, his last name is Reyes. Yeah. Ooh, uh, that's a big conspiracy No theory. shots fired. Ray is awesome. I, I love Ray, the- but I would not Ray. be surprised if in Lost Season 7 it turns out that Hurley spent some time on Jakku. Yeah, <laughs> your parents were no one. Um,
2: this uh, this conversation may age poorly in uh, one week's time. Uh, as I was going to say, and also, he, of course
3: he would be best friend <laughs> with BB-8. It's a number.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, because of the recording schedule, we're not going to be able to weigh in on this until... <laughs> until the finale uh, until that feedback show uh so uh put a pin in it let us know how how on or off the mark we were in our star wars comparisons to hurley uh for that finale uh for that season one feedback show um let's get into the episode itself the summary with the assistance of eight sounds and spoiler alert the eight sounds are all hurley all the time uh mm-hmm. there's there's a lot to cover in this episode but the hurley stuff is just so great uh that i felt very strongly about the idea of we should just be with Hurley for all of these sounds.
3: Yeah, and I would say that I think, obviously, the B-plot is Claire and Locke with the uh, the hand that rocks the cradle. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I, it's, I, I feel like that's more so of a discussion point than it is, like, actually hearing their conversation. I also forgot that this was a B-plot. For some reason, I thought this came up much earlier. In the season, maybe because Claire's going to have the baby in a couple of episodes, but I completely forgot the numbers had a B plot before we even got into watching this episode. Yeah. All right.
2: Well, let's get into it. Let's talk about this episode. It starts with Hurley on the beach. He's helping Jin tie some pontoons together. They are not communicating well uh michael he like he like he's like pantomiming he's like what do you what what are you trying to tell me you want me to like make a snowball
3: like yeah i would say like uh hurley is not great in charades like he's a great guy but i don't know (laughs) if i want him on my team on your squad yeah not necessarily uh michael is
2: gonna tell him like no Jin wants you to hold the bamboo tighter Uh, which is a nice little grace note of the idea that uh michael and Jin are starting to understand each other's language a little bit uh yeah I, I, i really understand this guy
3: I do like that that Michael sort of becomes the Jin whisperer because I mean that's going to become a big thing once they get on the raft. They're really sort of really going to be like the third wheel, or I guess the fourth wheel in the tricycle once we get into the finale. And obviously they literally came to blows in the last episode. But I guess Jin's adamancy to work on the boat, uh, which nobody else wants to do apparently, has like actually risen his respect in Michael's eyes. And I do love this idea of even though Jin isn't talking to Sun, he has to talk to somebody and by happenstance the one proxy who's starting to fill that role is michael
2: yeah he's the well they they get a lot of those like han and Chewy jokes too oh right? yeah i'm to the point where sawyer literally calls yeah that's that. what i mean yeah that's so great uh but but jack is very happy with uh with with uh he comes along he's he's like clearly this this thing is starting to get a little bit uh they're making progress here on the raft uh michael says like the thing is guarded 24 7 Nobody is going to come. Nobody is going to set us on fire this time. We're going to be totally fine. Uh, the problem is, even if we launch this raft, uh, the odds of catching a shipping lane are very slim. And we're going to need something to send a distress call. And we don't have any kind of battery power for something like that. And we're always like, wait a minute. French chick. She's got batteries. Said said so.
3: And what does Saeed say immediately? Absolutely, absolutely not. not. Absolutely
2: Which not. Absolutely not. Which is
3: totally understandable, considering what happened to him she last time. She drugged me.
2: She shocked me. I yeah. almost shot
3: her. I got she a, almost shot me. A, a, a pointy <laughs> stick hit me in the leg. You'll encounter many pointy sticks later on. I like, was hanging upside down by the feet for many hours. Yeah, like yes, he was able to ultimately get one over on Danielle and talk her out of. He, I guess Said was a repo man in that regard. Talk right. her out of really, you know, uh, killing him. But he. Understandably, has no desire to go back there whatsoever. Yeah. Especially since he also took her maps too. That would be an awkward conversation to have. I stole, I stole from her. <laughs> like, and I, oh, don't worry, I left a picture of my girlfriend in exchange.
2: Also, like she's really weird with the touching. Uh, like it's it's a it's a bad situation there, and I I do not want to go back. Uh, and there's like a little bit of a of a debate about this. Uh, he's like, look at the map. She says uh, the, she resides here. It's the Terroir Fonce, the dark territory.
3: You don't want to go here. This was the first mention of the dark territory, right? AKA like Smokey's main residence. Uh, yeah, and I, I think to
2: to me, I, I don't remember if that is like fully settled that the dark territory is where Smokey lives, unless like we're we're qualifying that as the temple, as like the outskirts of the temple, because that's where he seems to that's where that's where in in season five rousseau and the rest of the french team will see him like slip under the like the outskirts Mm -hmm. of the of the temple and drag poor montand and his uh (laughs) armless body down into into the thing
3: yeah uh oh cannot wait to get poured the blowfish the blowfish will get a little bit of a mention here as well so they are swimming around but they are not they have not been caught yet on the line they will buy the fisherman gin in a few seasons from now and so so jack's like so what are, you, what are you saying? You're not going to help us? He's like,
2: I'm not saying that. I'll help you. I'll build a distress beacon. You just need to find a different power source. Maybe you should go to the cockpit. And Jack, you hear in the background, is like, ah, it's a bad idea. It's like, why? I thought that you liked flying.
3: Um, <laughs> yeah, Well, they, and they won't go to the cockpit for a while, right? It was, say, like, it was traumatic. Yeah, I I wanna, it was traumatic. I want to say, like, season four. And maybe that's because Jack had so much, uh, I don't know, gusto that they finally decided to go there. But yeah, I guess they're still trying to... They like ruled it out pretty fast. They were trying like, to I don't mourn. Know. I mean, listen, Mr. Norris died for nothing uh, or didn't die for nothing. Uh, you want to honor his memory by making sure that place is sacrosanct. Yes, yeah, so you can never come back here. Uh, while they're having this conversation,
2: Hurley is uh, is going to look at the map and he's going to see something that interests him. And we're going to see why it interests him as we get our first Ever hurly flashback, and we will cue up the sound number one.
0: Swing your partner do si Hi, what are and you doing sure there? The Momentum, mama, just half, checking something take. out. Four, four, four,
1: three, four, three. I hope you're not watching those G-string mujeres again. Look,
0: ma, we talked about this. You want me living here, you gotta respect my privacy.
1: And no, I'm not.
0: Look at you. It's Saturday night. A grown-up man sitting at home watching TV. You should go out, try to find yourself a nice woman. Yeah, I'll get right on that. At least try eating better, you're getting weight again.
1: With mega number 42. And that makes tonight's mega lotto jackpot drawing 4,
2: 8, 15... 16, and 23, with the mega number 42. Whoever has those numbers has won or will
1: share in a near record jackpot.
3: That's right, Mary Jo, because this is the 16th week without a winner. Obviously, I know this is uh, an important announcement for Hurley, but I want to sing more of that square dancing, Josh. I was into sing, that.
2: Swing your partner, partner nose, you know. Uh A lot to unpack there. Uh, certainly the square dancing uh, is, is fantastic. Uh, and I think that uh, we are... If, if Lost had not been permitted to end, we probably would have gotten a Hurley square dancing flashback at some point.
3: Uh, seems like a very likely uh, terrible... Yeah, like- I guess, should we... Should we rename the Sideways University Dosi Doe University Joe? The Dosi the do the <laughs> So dumb. We'll uh, probably forget to keep doing that, but for today we can. Okay, uh, perfect. If, if we
2: remember to keep using it, we can. Um, g string Mu Harris. That is
3: absolutely expose, right? Like, oh, interesting. It, I thought it was the you all, Every Butties commercial, just oh. more of an R rated <laughs> version of it. Oh my God, those are g strings uh I, I just listen diapers like you have not yes. researched diapers as much as i have and there are some really oddly lewd diaper brands out there yeah i feel like that seems weird to have a a g a string shaped diaper it feels like it kind of defeats the purpose <laughs> well from one perspective one number speaking of numbers uh i think is covered the other one not so much got it got it got it uh and then uh john kraus had written in
2: uh, to say that that line this is the 16th week without a winner uh, we know that the that the lotto lady is Harold Perrineau's, uh wife uh, as we talked about in our outlaws podcast but the person who is saying this was the 16th week without a winner is also somebody who is well known within the lost pantheon that is Carlton Cuse uh, wow. is, is the voice
3: behind that
2: right there so
3: good stuff that's amazing. I wonder if it was just like, well, we have nobody else. Hey, Carlton, come in here and just, uh, just you know, say a yes, couple of quick swing lines. Swing your
2: partner around and
3: round. Come on and dosey do with us. Oh, if only the G string Mujeres had uh, stayed on for a while. I wonder how Carlton would have gotten involved in that.
2: Yeah. So I don't, I don't think that like they knew uh, with this line G string Mujeres is Expose uh, at the time. But I think when we get to Expose and find out what Expose is. And we find out that like Hurley is well versed in expose lore. This is just something that we can repo uh, G string Moo into, Harris into believing that that is expose.
3: I will also say we're going to find a lot more about Carmen Reyes, Hurley's mother, uh, I love even her. in this episode. Oh, but I Reyes. do love her, I love her so much. She it really, she might be like a top five parent, mommy or daddy in Lost, in my opinion. She's she's excellent. She's excellent. Like I don't want to, you know, after uh, I know I keep sp- asking you to put ironically enough numbers to like things within the Lost Pantheon.
2: I I don't want to after lavishing so much praise on uh on Daddy King Kwan. <laughs> uh I I feel like uh to to now one week later come out and say that Carmen Reyes is the best parent on Lost feels uh feels feels, feels like a lot. But I mean, I think she probably
3: is. I think she's like Mommy Queen. Mommy queen, Carmen. <laughs> All right. I like how we're just uh, attributing family members for family members of these people. Yeah. Uh, this scene is just great. Like, outside of the things we've already unthreaded, like, the... the, the <laughs> Watching Jorge Garcia just, like, drop, like, a sack uh. of bricks is so fun and i love the camera work as well Where like it really does an intense focus on hurley as the numbers are being read and then he faints out of frame you know they could have very easily cut to a wide shot of it but i just love the comedy of it that he dips out of our point of view uh assumingly fainting uh and hopefully you know not hurting himself in the process so that if he did he had plenty of money to pay for medical bills Absolutely, Uh, and and, uh it's going to be a lot of family members medical bills as well
2: oh poor uncle tito we'll get there in a moment um. All right. On the island, uh, Sawyer's a, not Sawyer. Sayid's asleep, uh, but not really. And when he opens his eyes, Hurley's just like sitting there,
3: <laughs> just like watching him, like a hawk, like a Hurley bird. Yeah. He goes, "You awake?" And Saeed so goes, "I was just wondering that myself." I love that. Very funny. It's I don't like know. Sorry, Saeed's sounding on? more like Count Jacula,
2: apparently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's like, "So tell me what you were figuring out with the map and stuff, like the, these numbers, these numbers on this map.
3: Uh, you know what's up with that?" Hurley is very bad at being nonchalant. We'll see that throughout this episode, whether it's the way that, you know, Charlie first approaches him or the way he tries to really just slip in like, yeah, there's some fun, funny numbers, huh? Can you tell me about everything you know about the numbers and where to find the person that knows about the numbers? Like, we know it's a big deal to him, but this is another great tenet of Hurley is like, and maybe again, a, a bit of why he's not the repo man at this point, as he's been promised, is he's not very smooth. Well,
2: he's, he's, he's very earnest. Yeah, he, he is who he is like he you know, he's it's, it's you know, Sawyer can uh, can like pretend to con somebody and play a different character, right? Like there are people who can who can lie here with some some measure of ease like Locke uh, and be one person to somebody and a completely different person to somebody else.
3: Hurley does not have that gear. Hurley's strengths are many, but that is not one of them. Yeah, I think that Hurley's authenticity is one of the things that characters enjoy about him the most. Because in a show that's filled with secrets, and that's the interesting thing about this episode as well, and we really start to get to see with Hurley's sort of inner turmoil, even when he's having a fun time holding golf tournaments on the island, he still holds an immense amount of guilt and a good amount of secrets to his own personal life here as well. And we start to see, I think, it become a bit undone. I can only assume that him seeing the numbers on the map, is triggering. Because I think, like you brought up, uh, he thought when he landed on the island, he thought he had escaped his misfortune, even though he thinks that he had also crashed the plane. He thought, okay, at least I'm away from the money and hopefully away from the numbers. And when he sees that on, you know, Russo's notebook slash map, that just brings back so many feelings of dread to him. It makes him fear for everybody else in a time where everyone else is fearful about the things around him, that I think it makes him sort of try to drop all pretenses, but still sort of keep up a wall of uh, of vagaries of oh yeah i i need to find out about this but there's no particular reason why not at all he's not very
2: sneaky necessarily or stealth uh but he's very bold is something yeah. about Hurley and what he does here is very bold and he and he's, you know, relatively sneaky about it in the moment where Said looks away. Uh, it's not even that it's like he like pushes like the map towards Saeed and it's almost sleight of hand where he grabs the, the actual piece of the map that he wants and leaves with it. Uh, and obviously at that point, we know like. Hurley is uh he, he wants to find the French chick. We still at this point in the first watch of it anyway, don't like fully understand why. But I just I love that that aspect of Hurley and like it's it's seen all throughout this episode of like much like John Locke like don't tell this guy what he can and can't do like when like he will be very happy to like sit out on on the action when it's not something he's particularly like keen on pursuing
3: but when he gets an idea in his head he's going to pursue it he's not going to walk away to the point or to the point where he will walk across a bridge uh, right. over a gorge and it exactly. doesn't really matter to him i think it's also maybe the connection in the numbers also makes him feel cuz let's remember that the thing about Hurley with the numbers is that at least he believes that It's not that he's unlucky, it's that everyone around him becomes unlucky. So it's almost a matter of like, yeah, I can cross this bridge because I know I'll be fine with it, but God help it if Charlie comes after me because he might fall straight on through. Maybe it's sort of a thing here where he's like, I want to go off on my own because I don't want to hurt anybody around me.
2: So Hurley's going to walk off with one of the maps. He's got the intel on the, the wire on the beach. Uh, so, like, that's going to be, like, his first uh, his first landmark as he's going off to make this mission. But as he walks off with the map, we get our next flashback from the episode. Most of these sounds are actually the flashbacks because the flashbacks of this episode are so, so great. Yeah, and we, uh, and we have to hear
3: that lovely, like, sting of dodo music uh, uh, from Michael Giacchino uh, throughout. It's so great. All right, sound number two. Uh,
0: yeah, you. How'd you come up with the winning numbers? Any significance? Oh, uh, they just... Uh... So sort of came to me. Why don't you introduce your family? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, this uh, This special beauty is my mom, Carmen. Come here, Mom. And this is my brother, Diego, and his wife, Lisa. Woo! We're rich! Nice, dude. Ignore him. He's an idiot. And uh. Um, oh, you got to meet this guy. This is the greatest guy I know. My, my, my grandpa, Tito. He's, uh, he's worked three jobs for...
3: Fifty-two years.
0: Fifty-two years. He's 70 years old, and the closest thing that he's had to a vacation is when they put a pacemaker in him four years ago. (laughs) So the first thing I'm going to do with the money is uh, finally give him the rest that he's earned. That's really what it's all about for me, to be able to do things for the people I care about. Because I really put my family through a lot recently, and, um... Well, this way I can make it up to them. You know, maybe even buy my mom a new house, and, uh... Maybe after uh, my grandpa comes back from his cruise, we can, you know, get to do some of the things that we always wanted to do. Grandpa? Tito, Tito, no!
3: Oh, poor Tito. Tito. I just love the irony when Hurley says, "I, I think I want to do is be able to do things for the people I care about, and... I mean, he technically is doing things, but they're not good things for the people he cares about. (laughs) Not on purpose. Not Not on on purpose, purpose. no. His heart's
2: in the right place, but... But Tito's is not beating. No. No, poor Tito. Grandpa Tito,
3: R.I.P. I'm so sorry for what I have to do to you later in this podcast. but The rules are the rules. I also love in terms of canon because, you know, we, we talk about what story beats of lost characters were thought out from the beginning. But this episode makes it very clear between this and the visit with Leonard, that Hurley, the idea of the Santa Rosa um, mental facility was something in Hurley's blood as a character from the very beginning. Not only there, but when he says, "You know, I really put my family through a lot recently," I mean, we're we're assuming that's what he's referring to, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, there's like the the, the whole deck incident, right? Like he he's yeah. on a deck and it collapsed and people died, and then he went to Santa Rosa. Uh, certainly, because when we see him go to Santa Rosa in this episode, everybody's pretty familiar.
3: Yeah, like, hey, you're, you're, Hugo's yeah. back.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. So and so they leave that mystery even in this episode where they like come up with the idea that like, maybe there is something darker in his past. We haven't figured out exactly what that's going to be yet. We haven't cracked that yet. Cause clearly they've had trouble like figuring out how exactly to tap into some of the the trauma of his, of his life before the Island. Um, but they, they plant that flag. Like they could always go back to it if they want to, or they don't have to. It's very instructive that we never see the, the deck incident on the show. Um, but I, I think that that's a, a very, uh, it's just another another moment that's like really indicative of the way that this show was written or like this would be an interesting note to to attach to the character. We do not have to address it today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like the fact that like, yeah, he says, I put my family through a lot recently. Uh, that's all the information you need at this point in time.
3: Yeah. And I think it also adds, you know, some ellipses to his characterization as well, where. At the end of this episode, you get a much clearer picture of him, but there's still other stuff. Sort of like how in Outlaws, you know, you had Kate drink when she said, when Sawyer said, never, I've ever been married. And it's like, oh, what's that about? I like the fact that, yes, by the structure of the show, we're going to have to dip our toes back into the waters of these characters multiple times, but they've at least provided themselves with some runway that they can go off of, uh, to a certain extent, before they start saying, hey, let's send Jack to Thailand. Right. All right. So uh,
2: coming out of the flashback... Uh, we're at the caves. Charlie comes up to Har- Hurley, and Hurley's like, "What? I didn't do anything. What's up? What's going on?" was <laughs> like, "I was
3: just saying hello. Hi." And I, I mean, I look. I think if Charlie can recognize a bad liar, considering that he is one as well, so I guess that also makes them sort of comrades in arms. Uh, but I think it is interesting that of all the people, Charlie's going to try to be his right hand man, uh, man through this. I mean, we had seen inklings of them working together most recently when Hurley helped him uh bury Ethan. But I feel like maybe this is one of these seminal charlie hurley moments even if charlie does rebuff him at the end for thinking he's lied to him so yeah he's like all right uh, i'm just
2: going on a walk don't worry about me and like his backpack spills he's like charlie you can't come with me and his backpack spills and like four different bottles of water come out I'm a big guy I get dehydrated easy yeah and charlie's like oh no i want to get a bit of the fresh wide open yeah uh, he's like nope 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 gotta do this on my own i just want some alone time want some alone time Uh, meanwhile, elsewhere on the island at the beach, uh, Claire is hanging out and Locke comes up to her, wants her help with a little project, uh, and he's building something. He needs some extra hands. She's like, I'm nine months pregnant, I can barely leave the beach. He says, can you hold a saw? Can you move your hand back and forth? Then you're more talented than Josh Wiggler, because I, I don't think I could.
3: (laughs) Well, that means you're better than the guy who climbed Mount Everest. Did you ever hear that story? Uh, I. Let me tell you about it. This is actually, this is a really interesting Locke episode, but I like. I mean, look, Locke is going to make a gift for Claire, so it makes sense why he would want to pick her. But I also like just generally the idea of picking Claire because, I mean, Claire's anxieties, uh, even when she's come back, is like feeling like she's a burden. Right. Yeah. Feeling like, oh, people have to wait on me, you know, hand and foot because I'm pregnant, whereas like we're really fighting for our survival here. And Locke is really styming those anxieties and saying like, no, 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 you're valuable. You're someone who can do something independently. Why don't you get up and join me? You might doubt yourself, but I don't doubt you. Again, it's sort of like it's very much like Locke, the sitcom dad uh, that we've been talking about from the past couple episodes uh so
2: that that's gonna yeah it's gonna have a, a really sweet payoff we'll we'll get there in a little bit uh saeed's gonna come to jack he's he's hot he's steaming he's like where is it uh he accuses jack of sending hurley to do his dirty work he sent hurley to steal the map he sent him to to lurk and look at me oh i slept so now he knows i've got sleep apnea uh and there's like i don't i have no idea what you're talking about and like Said's the one who even surmises
3: that it's like Everything I'm saying makes no sense to you, and Jacks. Like, yeah, bro, I've got no idea what you're talking about. I can't wait for the deleted scene where Saeed finds his uh, much sought after CPAT machine in the hatch. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Very sadly that that was left out of the official lost
2: canon. Uh, they and ask Saeed Charlie. Pap. They ask Charlie where where Hurley is at because obviously Charlie's going to know because Charlie and Hurley are, are buddies at this point. And he says he w- he went out for a walk. He was acting like a loon. And they go, Oh God, he's doing it. He's going after the French chick. Um, so Said and Jack and Charlie are gonna go after Hurley. Uh they go they go uh to pack up and Said's talking to Shannon before he goes. Uh and he says to to Shan Shannon's like, When are you coming back? He's like, Are you worried about me? And she goes, So what if I am? And yeah, he just like grabs her face. He's a face grabber, Saeed.
3: I mean listen, he's a very uh he's a very emotionally a physically amorous person but i i actually thought it was sweet when i did too I did uh too. when she said you know uh what if i am like and he also looks you know legitimately touched uh, as he touches her face i mean this I'm, is also, i'm
2: fully in on Said and shannon through everything we've seen of Said and shannon so
3: far so far i'm, I'm I've, I've yet to be steered away from this this is great yeah because let's stuff. remember like they've i mean they've you know they had their first kiss and i think you sort of always wonder in a relationship like Where do you take things in there, especially in a weird environment like, as Shannon puts it, Crap Hole Island. But I think the fact that she admitted that she cares about him, you know, possibly losing his life, encountering Danielle again, is like a step in their relationship.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. Um, But he says, I'll be fine. I'm going to just go off and do this thing. And then we cut away from Saeed joining Jack and Charlie to see that Hurley is already on the trek. And we're going to play sound number three here. And it's going to begin... With Hurley on the beach with like a, a shirt around his head as he's like trekking towards the wire and then it's going to, not the show, and it's going to segue to a flashback with Hurley and Carmen on the road and we'll play some of that. But then we very quickly are going to need to talk about the sound that we hear at the very top.
3: Oh, oh soundtrack. yeah, we're going to so. have
2: to wrap it all up. So let's 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 get into it.
1: Everybody with me Drinks on me Hey, y'all Who you came with Who you leaving with This my line Everybody with me Hey, y'all Who you came with Who you leaving with Everybody with me, me. Hey, y'all Who you came with Who you leaving with This my line Everybody with no, me Hey, y'all Who you came oh. with Who you leaving Sorry. with Sorry
0: Is that your <sighs> Where are you taking me? You know very well I don't like surprises Are oh, You gonna like this one, Ma I mean, after everything You've been through mm-hmm. Like, Grandpa? You're loathing in La Gloria. And they had the funeral? Mm-hmm. Father Aguilar getting struck by lightning? Man, it was a freak storm. And Diego moving back home after Lisa left him for that waitress? Don't mention that whore to me. I'm just saying, you deserve something good to happen. You know, Ever since I won the lottery, it's like we've had nothing but bad luck. Like I don't know, the money's cursed or something. Ow! That's blasphemy. You know very well we are Catholic. We don't believe in curses. Jeez, mom, just talking.
3: Josh, this is the most god awful song I've
2: heard in my Mike, life. Mike, Mike, can you do me a favor? And can can you can you just play? The the beginning of that sound again. Oh And yeah. and and cut it, cut it off when when uh, Carmen asks her really to to take the the sound out. Yeah. I, I well, just I, I just need to to hear who you came with and who you're living with one more time.
1: Everybody with me, drinks on me. Hey y'all, who you came with? Who you living with? This my line. Everybody with me. Hey y'all, who you came with? Who you living with? Everybody with me, drinks on me. Hey y'all,
3: who you came with? Who you living with? Name, no, no. Who you came with. that it's awful it <laughs> is terrible lyrics <laughs> Mike, do me just
2: a i need a just a quick solid from you if you don't mind um would you mind just playing that song again just until like carmen tells hurley to turn the music down i just need to hear that just uh just one more time if you if that would be all right
3: okay one well, one more time one more time into the club Everybody
1: with me, drinks on me. Hey y'all, who you came with? Who you live with? This my line, everybody with me. Hey y'all, who you came with? Who you live with? Everybody with me. Drinks on me. Hey y'all, who you came with? Who you live with This my line,
3: everybody. Well, <laughs> so Josh, Mike, surprise, surprise! Mike, this is an original Mike, composition. Mike, Mike, there's no way. What is it? What is that? What is you this? know you know you what, know what it was? That? It's Damon Lindelof, Michael Giacchino's. Like, great! I'm gonna go on vacation. I'm gonna go on a cruise because Uncle Tito didn't. Uh, and it was like, great. <laughs> Crap! We need some music to back this up. Okay, uh, let me come up with some rap lyrics. Uh, okay, everybody in the club, drinks, uh, drinks on, on me. All who
2: you came with, with who, who you're you leaving with. with. It's great, my okay. line.
3: Everybody with me. Who you came with y'all who you' living with just just, just throw it into just throw it into a bean I think we've we got a uh, we got a nice early 2000s hit there I think we're like
2: i i want to find so so here's the thing so nobody knows where that song came from this is like a piece of of this is a missing piece of lost lore that nobody knows how that song came to existence there are people who have tried to find that song independent of lost it has not been Found, which leads you to believe that yes it was created specifically for lost why why and who who did this and where can I buy the rest of the album um Mike I I really hope that I am going to be able to do like a phone interview with Damon Lindelof fairly soon uh as it pertains to Watchmen and you better believe that I am I am going... This will be the lost question that I ask him. Yeah. I, ha- I, have, I have to ask him. I have to get to the bottom of this. Uh, I don't know that I am going to be able to deliver an answer anytime soon. Maybe we'll edit it into a podcast so we don't have to leave everyone in the lurch once I know the answer. Um, but I have to find out because that person needs a Wombat Station hat.
3: Oh, yeah. Uh, I think we need to find out the soon-to-be poet laureate who wrote drinks on me parentheses everybody in the club <laughs> mike uh i actually just before we move on uh there's one more thing that I, w- I
2: would love it uh so much if you could if you could just play the song again just like
3: one more time because we've played it three song three times i feel like it we mm. gotta play it a fourth time yeah absolutely or like the studio behind it that made that is gonna like go into bankruptcy or something okay, assuming cool. that it's it still yeah, exists let's just play it one more time all right from our mystery DJ, here comes drinks on me. Parentheses, who you come with, who you leaving with? Everybody with me, drinks
1: on me. Hey y'all, who you came with, who you leaving with? This is my line. Everybody with me. Hey y'all, who you came with, who you leaving with? Everybody with me, drinks on me. Hey y'all, who you came with, who you leaving with?
3: This my line. Everybody you were that with me. Hey y'all, who you came with? It doesn't even rhyme! <laughs> hey, y'all, who you came with?
2: Who you leaving with? Everybody in the club! Line. Drinks all me! It's so great! It's so great! It's so great! It's so good!
3: Also, why would... <laughs> it's extremely rude for you, sir, to approach people in the club and say, Hey, who'd you come in with, and who are you leaving with?
2: <laughs> it's a very nosy person.
3: <laughs> yeah, like, I don't want, I don't want <laughs> the club busybody. I don't need him buzzing around. Listen, and you can't just, like, buy that information out of me. I
2: don't care that you're buying drinks drinks for everybody in the club it is not your business to know who i came here
3: with and certainly not who i'm leaving with hey, and you're making a lot of presumptions sir that you think i would even want to get with somebody look i know you're showing a lot of uh a lot of wealth in buying everyone drinks you didn't say what drinks i noticed are you going for the happy hour well drink special and being a cheapo depot if that's so i don't want to be the knocking boots with you later on if i want to be the person that you're leaving with
2: and I guess, like, if we want to be more fair to the singer, he does say, it's my line. Like, this it, it, does that mean, like, it's just a thing I say. I say, who'd you come with? Oh, you with? No one takes it personally I, all the time. Like, this is so just, like, like my,
3: my catchphrase. I took it as maybe, okay, you know what? Maybe the perspective is this is from a guy who owns this club. And so he's looking at the line of people outside. Oh, and saying, it's, yeah. That's my line. You know, like, this is my club, and that's the line of people that are coming in, and we, I see who they're coming in with, but who they're leaving with. That's the big mystery.
2: Well, if he owns the club, then he's got... I do think he has uh, somewhat of a right to know. At
3: the yeah, period. that's true. Like, who you come with? Who you leaving with? Do you have a ride home? Yeah. Do you drink responsibly? Get home safe, everybody with me.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, like, everybody I mean, with bought, me. I'm a yeah. designated
3: driver. Nobody yeah. drink and drive at the same time.
2: Yeah, so, like, if he bought drinks for everybody, uh, then potentially everyone's wasted, and he has to make sure everyone's getting home safe.
3: Oh, I love this. He piles everyone into a school bus that he is also his... And yeah. He decides to host a caravan of driving people home, and he wraps a, a fond farewell to them when he drops them off. I know that we're veering away from the numbers by 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 doing this, and we've already gotten
2: to an even. No, four. the the
3: bus seats twenty three.
2: But I do just I I do want to hear it one more time just to just to get the lyrics right and make sure that we feel like we've covered it thoroughly.
3: All right, so now listen and see if you're if we're coming in from the perspective of the proprietor of this eponymous club. If that sort of changes uh, the, the lasciviousness of some of these requests. Everybody
1: with me, you my line, everybody with me, with. Me. hey, y'all, who you, came with? Who you with? This my
3: line, See, if you look at it from that regard, it almost sounds like it's like the tale of a very <laughs> responsible business owner. Yeah, yeah. And
2: I think also uh, a, a, respo- a responsible person, because he's he's not just buying drinks for everybody in the club. He says, everybody with me. So who came with him? The people mm. that came with him. He is buying their drinks. But to, to uh, broad brush that and say that he is buying drinks for everybody in the club, I think is uh, attaching him to something that he did not sign on for. Uh, and I think that that's fair because, like, you assume that he knows the people that he's brought with him. Uh, and so he's going to he he knows who's drinking, who's not. Um, he He's just not buying, like. You know, full on, uh, full drinks for complete strangers.
3: Yeah. Maybe, and maybe he's also seeing that some of these people are caught up with maybe some seedy looking people. So like, hey, who are you leaving with? I just want to make oh. sure.
2: Yeah, and so like he's going up to these people who are like, Oh, that guy's buying drinks for that huge crew over there. I bet we could get free drinks from him. And then he's like, Ah uh, ah, 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 all right. Are you are you with me? Are you with part of like this group that I brought in? Okay, who? Who'd you come with? Yeah. Who are you leaving with? It's who a test. Leaving? It's like, Do you know Spencer? I, I don't know and if you're like, Yeah, I came I, here with Spencer. I'm leaving with Spencer. That's a trick, Spencer's not yeah. part of
3: my crew. I don't know if you know, but it's my line. That's my line out there. So I'm gonna let you have to let me know exactly what's happening here. You know, I am someone You don't know how much money and how much time I put into this. I had to take out a loan. I don't know if my kid can go to college after this to build this club and capitalize on one of my greatest dreams. (laughs) I I want to make sure that nothing shady or illegal goes down here or I'm going to be on hot water. You know, it's, it's me, DJ Squeezy. It's my line. Yeah, it's my
2: line. I am in I am in deep trouble if you are not of age and I've bought you a drink or if I've bought you a drink and you do something shady afterwards, like I'm going to whether
3: or not like I'm legally responsible, I'm going to have that on my conscience forever. Exactly. and You're going to report me to the Better Businesses Bureau, too. And then yeah. I won't have a line and I won't be able to afford buying drinks for everybody just because you didn't tell me who you came in with, nor who were you leaving with. Yeah, okay, so anyway, so that happens (laughs) in the show. Uh, I think we just gained the most sympathy for uh, a rapper behind a random 30-second clip of Lost than I've ever seen. That's my new favorite character on Lost. What, Uh, should we give him a name?
2: uh, I don't know, the genius who created everybody with me. Oh, how about
3: uh, DJ
2: Drinks On Me? (laughs) DJ Drinks On (laughs) Me. that's good for now oh my god uh soliciting uh names if we do not come up with a better one by the end of this podcast Uh, i suppose before we get everybody to to unsubscribe from down the hatch we should move on with actually talking about the episode yeah who are you leaving the podcast with
3: who are you coming in with (laughs) who you
2: came here and who you're leaving with oh my god this might be their line uh (laughs) that we've crossed uh that they are now leaving Uh, We certainly are not going to be buying drinks for anybody who feels like we have let them down with the everybody with me drinks on me. Hey, y'all, who you came with, who you leaving with segment of the numbers episode of Down the Hatch. You are on your own for those drinks. Well,
3: Hurley Hurley comes with Carmen to her new house, but he's going to leave without her and to a a jail (laughs) cell. He's going to leave in handcuffs.
2: Yes. So he's going to go. He's he's showing Carmen her house. She's blindfolded. Uh, she's like why do I gotta wear the blindfold and she smells smoke and she falls and she breaks her ankle and it's a whole to do and the cops show up Uh, They say, hey, y'all, who'd you come with? (laughs) You're leaving with us. (laughs) Well, you're leaving with Uh,
3: us. (laughs)
2: You're leaving with us. Uh, They arrest Charlie. So it's just like another instance of uh, shit going south for- Yeah,
3: and and we we sort of, I think, uh, neglected to reference all the other things besides DJ Drinks On Me's uh, magnum opus, but- You know, he's, uh, yeah, like,
2: Grandpa Tito died, and then, like, the father at the funeral, he got hit by lightning, Diego's wife left him for a waitress, we're not supposed to mention that woman uh, ever in front of Carmen again. Uh things are like he's he's saying like I'm cursed and she's saying there's no such thing uh but uh events are are seemingly dictating otherwise because yeah. just calamity continues to ensue around Hurley.
3: I will say that apparently uh the necklace that Hurley is wearing in this scene has the Chinese character for fortune or luck. So it's wow. clear that I think this mentality has already been reverberating in, in you know, Hurley's head if he's wearing sort of like a Chinese version of a four-leaf clover. Maybe he should have given it to Carmen. I will say also, uh, poor Carmen. Like, I think Hurley really meant well, obviously, in buying her the house. But he kind of botched the whole blindfold thing and, like, letting her step out of the car and not tell her, hey, there's a curb that you might want to avoid. Yeah, I think probably that would have been a wise thing to do or like carry her over the threshold style and then place her down granted what she would have uh, been witness to would not have been good but at least she would have avoided a trip to the emergency room yes uh back on the island Hurley finds the cable and he
2: shouts out yo french chick and he he's found the line mike that's his line <laughs> and he is he is coming he's coming to find drinks on me uh, i got four water that? bottles
3: <laughs> yeah he's got <laughs> Who you come with? I only came by myself, but I'm leaving with information and
2: batteries (laughs) and batteries. Uh, All right. And then there's another flashback. Uh, We don't have the sound for it because we played it at the top of this episode or at least half of the scene. Uh, It's uh, Hurley with his accountant. Um, One bit of information that's that's fun here is. Uh he's now the majority shareholder for a box company in Tustin. That is of course John Locke's uh box company that he and works
3: at. I'm pretty sure the exchange where Hurley says a box company and the accountant says, mm, they make boxes. Yeah, they make boxes. I'm bosses. pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure that's like not maybe not word for word, but a close. very similar close clo- close to what uh Locke and Boone did yes, and all the best. Very, very close. Very close. I love it. It's great.
2: Uh yeah, and like other stuff mm. is happening. Sneaker factory burned. Uh, but like the good news is we've got a wind, windfall of cash. You've like doubled your net worth between that and getting arrested, you know, wrongfully arrested. Uh, and so Hurley is upset. It's bad luck. And then it's, it's what we heard at the top of the episode. It's the numbers, man. Numbers are bad. And the accountant's like, no, numbers are good. The numbers aren't cursed. What are you talking about? Uh, and then person falls from the roof and dies. (laughs) And, uh, that's sad. It's terrible, but it's also very, very funny at the same
3: time. Yeah, I, I, and this is probably one of the darker moments, right? Is watching a guy like not even like die from a heart attack, like or get struck by lightning, flat out, seemingly like, commit suicide, or maybe this or is, like pushed a, pushed off? Or, or, or like, fell. I mean, this, this is a poor, hapless window washer pulling a brand Stark here, but I don't think he's gonna he, if he doesn't warg before he hits the ground. It's not going to be a similar situation. Um, yeah. I also li- I love the accountant saying it's all in your head. Which again, if now that we know. Hurley's sort of trajectory would connect back to, like, that is an assumption you might make to someone who has been in a mental facility of, like, hey, these are delusions. You know, you've seen people before. I'm sure you're seeing these and making connections happen that aren't uh, really there. But the accountant also says he believes in numbers. And, again, if we're going back to this idea of faith, uh, both the accountant and Hurley do believe in the numbers, just maybe different uh, reputations of the numbers.
2: they do, Yeah, they believe in them in, in different ways. Um, back on the island, Michael's working on the raft. Sawyer has a headache. We're laying track for Glass's gate. Uh, He's reading A Wrinkle in Time. That's nice.
3: Yeah. I mean, I I will also say, like, yes, Sawyer has a headache, but it's not a great excuse to, like, not work on the raft. Uh, And and even Michael points this out, and Sawyer says, no, I'm standing guard. I've taken guard shifts. Watching out out for arsonists. Uh, What I like about this
2: scene, which otherwise is probably the most cuttable scene in the episode is that with Sawyer, we're setting up where we're going to go in the much needed comic relief of Dave's ex machina storyline, which is, I know maybe some people will disagree with that, but I think that to have uh, a little bit of something you can laugh at and what's otherwise a very serious story is helpful for that, uh, for that story for me anyway. Um, But also that we're looking back on in translation as well, where son is with Kate and she's like watching Jin. And she's like, oh, he's never going to speak to me again. I humiliated him. Uh, when the when the raft sails, I think he's going to go. Uh, so here we are in numbers uh, with in translation with ooh in translation uh, and Deus Ex Machina on either side of it. And here we are in this scene uh, exploring both of those uh, two stories that come from that episode. So I just think it's like a nice little, you know. Uh, unacknowledged not here in Mm. the middle of numbers
3: yeah i and you said not i think it's uh sayy just got his ears perked up a little bit (laughs) turn around Uh, i think that i I totally forget about the son and kate relationship and it's so interesting how everyone knows that sun learned english uh but kate is still one person that she really confides in because she was one of the first people to tell and so i think it is interesting that you know despite this being public knowledge sun is still going to kate Talk to these things. Theoretically, since she knows the language, she could talk to just about anybody. But it seems like her and ha- Kate, Kin-Aid, uh have Kate have really, and Kate. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, the we've
2: Annie. Yeah, yeah.
3: Annie rears her head again. I think that it's a very pertinent connection between the two that I think I sort of forget about, especially when they're going to be part of the oceanic six together. But I think once they get separated for a long while and then they come back together and then sun dies, uh, it's something that we don't really explore a lot in the latter half of the series, but this is like a cool opportunity for two women to connect over sort of like their uh, past and, you know, the ways that they have sort of been done wrong by men in their life, but simultaneously looking ahead as to what they can sort of do on the island and give each other advice.
2: Yeah uh technically they came here together because they were on the same flight and they were going to leave together as well oh no
3: <laughs> maybe that was uh cindy and the other air flight attendants like pre-flight rap. you know how flights try to be woke sometimes and like make funny that's, videos or their pre-flight announcements yeah i was gonna
2: say <laughs> that's the safety
3: video. <laughs> drinks on me we have complimentary beverages as soon as we uh make our way over the pacific <laughs>
2: Yeah, you want to remember who you came in. You're leaving with in in case of an emergency.
3: Now, remember, this our sure line. It's, like it's our system. line to the to the lavatory. So please make sure you respect it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm losing it. I got to pull it together. It's going to be a four-hour podcast because we can't I mean, listen, it'd be very
3: pertinent if it was four hours. I know. No, but I don't have that kind of time today.
2: (laughs) All right. We got to keep going. Uh, Hurley's back off in the jungle again. He follows the cable to a point, and he stops. There's flies buzzing. There's a pig hanging upside down. Very Lord of the Flies moment here in the jungle. Oh, Sawyer's Uh, excited. Big time. He keeps going. Then he steps on something and it's a pressure trigger, and we're gonna hear all about it in one of my very favorite scenes of the episode. Let's hear it right now. Don't move!
1: Hey! What are Tony, you do you mean? Do not move. You're standing on a pressure trigger. If you take
0: your
3: weight off it, it will release that.
1: Oh man. We need to find something to replace this weight
0: on the trigger. This
1: weight? How are we gonna do that?
0: Hey, don't move! Everybody, just calm down. Can I drop the wire?
1: Maybe I find a rock. I'm dropping the wire. one. no!
0: I can make it. Hurley, don't move! No! I can get out of the way. I'm spry.
2: Oi! Hurley, stay put! No! Hurley! Hurley! Hurley. Don't even!
0: What the bloody hell's wrong with you? Nothing.
3: Can we talk about the uh, effectiveness? The fact that Jack says,
2: hey, everybody.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's quoting his favorite song, or the fact that Charlie, for a portion of time, just goes, oi, oi, yeah. like he's he British pig. What do we think? How do we rate the effectiveness of this Rousseau trap? Which, from my perspective, Josh, just looks like a bunch of pointy sticks tied together.
2: Well, if that hit you, it would suck. It would be horrible. And, like, uh you know hurley probably would have kept moving if Psy didn't tell him to stop moving and then he probably would have gotten hit by the thing and it would not have been good i think it was it's a fairly effective trap and it's just very lucky that hurley had some friends show up even even if they
3: were uninvited guests yeah i would say maybe the aesthetic of it is what's not working for me you know like i think blowing up your you know your uh, your safe house i think that's a really crisp yeah clean that's idea. A,
2: that's uh, you know, how much uh, you got to go to the Black Rock? You got to risk life and limb.
3: Like, how how much firepower do you got? So you 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 work with you got. I think it's it's brutal and it's simple, but I suppose it's effective enough. And I like how it's also a big bundle of them, in that like you could really go in from any angle. And she wanted to account for that instead of just like a row of spikes. Yeah,
2: it's so funny. Uh, the we we talked about this a little bit in solitary Of like uh, one of my great friends who is uh, one of my my favorite people to talk Lost with. Who I still have like lines from the show that we just quote e- at each other in like our everyday friendship. Uh, one of which being Rousseau's, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, but here we are in another episode where Rousseau is going to show up. And another word, another phrase that we say to each other all the time is, I can make it. I'm spry. Uh, <laughs> like that has been a part of like my daily lexicon for years now. I uh, love you know, the word spry. Yeah. I'm spry. Yeah. Cause Saeed's going to be a spy, but Hurley is spry. <laughs> I'm spry. I'm spry. Uh, but he says nothing's wrong with me. I came here to get the battery. There's nothing else going on. Uh, and since you're all here, we should just keep going together.
3: Yeah. Uh, what so did you What did you think about that? Because Saeed is Mister. No, 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 no. We're not going there. I don't want to go there. And at this point, he's like, Well, I guess you know, I'm standing and I'm Where's already
2: far in. And also, like Hurley's like not being deterred. Right. Like he's saying, mm-hmm. like I'm not going back. So either you're coming with me or you're leaving
3: without me. This and just, is my line. And then I guess because uh, Saeed, you know, was able to deduct, you know, point out the traps that Rousseau has set up, he almost feels like he needs to be there to protect her. Right. I just feel bad for this guy. He was like, nope, I do not want to go back there. That is going to be a very awkward situation. And unfortunately, he sort of is dragged into it just because he has the precedence and because Hurley is so adamant about going there.
2: All right, so speaking of going, we are going back in flashback form to Santa Rosa. We're going to go to the asylum. Uh, Hurley's going to go. He's going to show up for Leonard. Uh, so he's, Hurley's very worried about the guy who's screwing in the light bulb. He's like, do that another time. Do not do that now. Uh, he probably saved that guy's life. Uh, the doctor recognizes Hurley, and that's our cue that Hurley's been here before. Um, yeah, that, that's and-
3: always a weird thing. Granted, I have never had this situation, but like the doctor's almost treating it like it's high school. And, like, Hurley went to college and is visiting yeah. back. Like, it's very, I guess Hurley's very amiable because it's a very amiable greeting for a former patient of yours. It's like, oh, Hurley. Yeah, who doesn't love Hurley? Everybody loves Hugo. Uh,
2: uh, that's not
3: what season two says in that one episode. But
2: he, so he goes and he's, he, he's visiting Leonard and he sits across from Leonard and they're playing Connect Four. Uh, and we start to hear that Leonard is whispering the lotto numbers. 4, like, 8, 50, 60, 20, 42. Uh, And so the the conversation continues Let's actually hear it uh, And we will uh, We'll find out some information about why Hurley is going to go to Australia
0: Come on Lenny, give me something Anything Where'd you get the numbers? Is that why you're here Lenny? It's because of the numbers Did they do something to you? I think they did something to me I think they turned me into a jinx bad news to everyone around me when i tell people i think i'm the cause they 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 look at me like i'm nuts they don't believe me but i know ever since i won the lottery with those numbers you use those numbers to play the lottery uh yeah. Hey, you shouldn't have done that. You've opened the box. I what? Uh, you shouldn't have used a number. Why not? It doesn't stop. You gotta get away from those
3: numbers. You gotta get far, far away. You hear me?
0: Don't you understand? You gotta get plenty, away plenty, from plenty, them plenty. or it won't stop. me try to wait, wait a second, I need some answers. Sir, <laughs> you need to step away. Plenty the numbers, where'd you get them? Send to me. He heard them. Who sent to he me? He heard them in Calculate. Calgary?
3: that has to be by far the most entertaining delivery that something <laughs> is in Australia, from all the between like your uh, Margot Shepherds and uh, Australia. And your Shannon on the phone to Boone about how he has to go to Sydney. Australia. Comma Australia. Yeah.
2: Australia
1: God.
3: Yeah, it looks a little like Bobcat Goldwaith in there <laughs> uh, So yeah. I'm assuming after this, Leonard got the uh, dispatch from Santa Rosa and went back to his roommate Sheldon, right? This is sort of like a backdoor pilot for the Big Bang Theory. Young Leonard, uh, yeah, I don't think that we ever see him again. No, I would assume not. I, I try to remember. You see him in Dave. I'm trying to remember. I can not remember. I don't, remember if we th- see I don't him think Dave. so. I think I don't think we see. I think we more so focus on the staff of Santa Rosa in those uh, in those flashbacks rather than the actual uh, patients. This is, you know, I wouldn't say this is necessarily 2004 showing its head. I would say this is more so like mental health awareness pre 2010 or so showing its head in terms of just. You know, it's it's the Good Burger esque portrayal of mental health facilities, which is not the kindest portrayal of it.
2: Yeah, it's not. Uh, they definitely it, it could it could use some work. It's not it's not like the the gentlest touch. By the way, he does show up in Dave. Oh, so amazing! We will, we will see Lenny one more time.
3: I, I want to see those glasses. I really want to find out the origin story as to how they got you broken. Will. You'll see him. We'll see them. Um, all right. Back on the
2: island, they reach the bridge. This is the bridge scene. If you do not remember the bridge scene, it's a it's an action scene. It's that from goes the a Temple lo- of Doom. It goes a lot longer than I think we'll talk about it because there's not much to talk about other than the fact that like, there's a bridge. Uh, everyone's like a little reticent to cross it, except for Hurley, who just like goes. And they're like, Hurley, what are you doing? And he makes it all the way. And then Charlie's like, oh, sweet. He can do it which is like this is still fat shame your friend well he just did it beforehand
3: though in sound number three with like the oh he's supposed to replace his weight charlie stop it
2: charlie charlie's a bit of a of an a-hole in this episode uh but he goes after hurley and then like the bridge starts to collapse and charlie barely makes it uh and jack and saeed tell hurley and charlie to stay where they are and Hurley's like no I'm just gonna keep going and charlie screams his head off at hurley says you're acting like a bloody lunatic uh and so that's that's what happens there i think as it pertains to, to hurley it's just further reinforcing that idea of like he's very bold when he gets an idea in his head he's going to pursue it all the way down the line uh and that's what he does here and uh and and that's great but otherwise it's one of those scenes that you know this is an action scene
3: yeah and it also well. i mean you can also question in terms of we'll obviously question next episode about this idea of like the force of the island are there you know whims and wills at work could it be that hurley as the protector? Uh, Jacob or somebody protects him from falling in the gorge by keeping the bridge intact, but because they know that Charlie is not going to be long for this world, at least compared to Hurley, they say, "Yeah, we're fine. We can break the bridge
2: then." Yeah, Uh, we get another flashback. Uh, It's going to be Hurley in Australia, God, and he's going to meet Martha Toomey, uh, who is Sam's wife, Martha Toomey. Martha Toomey, she's going to say, "Sam's been." dead for 4 years. I know you're looking for Sam, but he's dead. Uh and she starts to give him the story about what Sam was all about, that he was in the navy with Lenny and uh he he heard something on a radio, these numbers. He was stationed at a listening post. It was a boring job that he hated, but one night 16 years ago there was something in us in the static, a voice repeating those numbers over and over and over again and he couldn't get those numbers out of his head Then a few days later he and martha were at a fair uh and there was this
3: guy who like goes around with beans in a jar i like to think this is anthony cooper that like before he was like a a big scammer like he was a regular old carny yeah yeah that's a bad con though so i don't feel like i mean like it's not really like
2: it's hard to win but like if it if you actually if there is an answer uh and i guess he he used the numbers to guess the exact number of beans and i don't know quite how that works i know we've got some feedback about that later so we won't spend too much time on it here um but like it has to be a pretty big number and the con artist is going to relent and be like that's right you got the exact right amount of beans but like he could have just been like no you're off you didn't get it
3: and, well, then what like, would have happened is the jar would have exploded, and like a glass jar would have gone into this guy's eye and he would have are died they from what blood are they going to do
2: they're going to count the beans one by
3: one and get it to the right number like stop it so the story doesn't really hold, I don't know the Kalgoorlie uh carnival scene is really they it's get very meticulous very uh lots full of, of full of bean counters quite literally
2: strength and honor amongst those people. They would never lie about how many beans there are. you just you'd kick the dirt and be like, damn it, they got the beans. Uh all right, I'm I'm back on board with it. Uh so they won the money, they came home, they got into a car accident, Martha lost her leg, uh, and Sam barely had a scratch. He was like Bruce Willis and unbreakable. <laughs> Does that mean uh is everyone else around him Mr. Glass? <laughs> yeah. Don't give him any water. That is his his weakness. If he's at the club and you're buying drinks Do not give him water. Everything
3: but water for Bruce Willis in the club.
2: Remember that DJ drinks drinks on me. Yes. So that would be bad. Uh, So lots of bad things started happening because he had used the numbers is what he said. And eventually he he stopped the bad things from happening by uh, putting a shotgun in his mouth and pulling the trigger. Uh, And this is a very harrowing story that Hurley is shaken by. And this is how Hurley responds to it with sound number six.
0: I use them the numbers to win the lottery and now I think I'm under the same curse curse there's no curse but you just told me you think I'd still have my leg if Sam hadn't picked the right number of beans you think that floods wouldn't have happened that, that homes wouldn't have burned down that people wouldn't have died well yeah
2: You make your own luck, Mr. Reyes.
0: Don't blame it on the damn numbers. You're looking for an excuse
2: that doesn't exist.
3: Martha Toomey is Hurley's father, confirmed. She said make your own luck.
2: (laughs) Yes, so that's great that that connects to to later on, and that's just a a great line around Hurley. Like, House Reyes, you make your own luck, would be on the sigil. Um, Mike. I don't want to alarm you, Mm -hmm. but now I listened to Renap recently. Mm-hmm. Uh and I heard you on the Game Night podcast. And if y'all haven't listened to Rob and Akiva Need a Podcast's episode of Game Night featuring Mike and Liana going head to head against Akiva and Rob in a series of games as hosted by the great Kirsten McInnes, uh then and you plan to listen to it, then first of all, we're about to get into some spoilers from that podcast here. Uh so maybe skip ahead 2 minutes just make sure that you you clear the the spoilers. Um but what happened was you got to like it was like a 1 point difference right like you right. it was like it was like a tie and like you had one last chance to to make a move uh and the question was how many zip codes are there in the United States of America and whoever guessed closer to the right number uh was going to win all the beans as it were quite literally uh, like metaphoric beans but you know it's I mean I it's a cameo it's a cameo but it's the beans uh and i forget what Robin akiva guessed but mike you for the Mike and Liana squad repping the B and B. You selected what number?
3: So I selected forty two thousand.
2: Yes, and what happened as a result? What was the what was the what was the correct answer for how many zip codes in the United States of America? Forty two thousand. You got it bang on on the nose using a lost number. Had you not watched numbers yet? <laughs> Had you not realized what it was you were doing? Like, I mean, do you realize that I have to podcast with you for the next two oh years? No. I am so close to your orbit. So many bad things. <laughs> so many
3: bad things are liable to happen now.
2: Because you used the numbers
3: All right, to count the zip codes. Why me, did you do that? Let me counter here. Because... No, I you said- counted enough! So I I said 42,000, but Liana picked the final number with 42,069. And herein lies maybe the one thing that could have gotten Hurley out of the situation that he was in. Because the, the number 69 is so funny and so uniting enough that I feel like it might be able to outweigh even the deadliest of curses. And so I feel like if we're looking at the pH balance... Yeah, I threw in a bunch of acid there by picking 42,000, but Liana took a big old gallon of milk, poured it in with 69, and now it's back to pH 7, baby. A couple of things on on this.
2: Can you put out fires with milk? Is that how <laughs> fires are destroyed? With milk? You pour, you pour milk on a gasoline fire and the fire is done? Experts weigh in. Uh, you can't 69 the lost numbers away. <laughs> you, cannot, you cannot 69 the lost curse and call it a day.
3: I, I, listen, it, a, the, it the hasn't been tried yet. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I Oh my God! Well, if anything bad happens, drinks on you, sir. <laughs> well, listen, you might be spilling drinks on yourself as a result. A uh, mock, uh, milky mocktail, please pass it my way. Uh, well, it'll if, be in a bad in a pinch when there's a fire that's oh around you. God. You didn't think people would die? I mean, look at what you've done. Oh my Forty-two
3: thousand. Go- Did you not hear the legend of Sam Toomey? I... Mike Bloomie. Oh, <laughs> maybe that's it. Maybe my name just matches up too much. Speaking of the numbers, actually. Uh, can I take this moment to bring in some lost mythos as Ooh. to who Lenny and Sammy uh, were exactly hearing from with that transmission? Is this the, the Valenzetti stuff are we yes. about to get into? Well, we, getting-
2: we've got that. We've got that in the others. Why don't let's 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 finish the summary because, God, we have <laughs> spent a long time here. Uh, and we're not done with the episode. Let's definitely talk that through when we get to the Valenzetti stuff. All right. Sounds good. Um, all right, so let's let's continue let's continue as best as we can because we're not even in the final Claire and Locke scene yet. Here we are Claire and Locke. they're building a thing. Claire doesn't know what he's building. It's a trap for animals. He's like, yeah well, I'm gluing some stuff together. She's like, you made glue yeah, rendered animal fat. Uh, it's a good it's a good thing. Uh, so John Locke is just the man uh, and and she's trying to remember everything that's gone on and Locke is is very sweet. How's that coming your memory? Says bits and pieces, bits and pieces, nothing that makes any real sense. Uh, And Locke says, I'm good at putting bits and pieces together. I think
3: I can help. See, this is something that I love watching in hindsight because this is a pivotal storyline for what happens with Claire. I think this is where Claire really starts to see like a fatherly figure in John Locke that's going to, you know, lead her into his care in season two when Charlie Sachs starts acting freaky. But especially in season six, when someone who happens to have taken John Locke's form walks in and says, Hey, Claire, you want to come with me and do some crazy shit? She says, Well, sure. You look like this guy who I adore more than anything. And I'm sure she had these memories sort of reverberating in her head, putting the bits and pieces together. Also, uh, a fun little call out for the character. You know, uh, Claire said, Hey, you should do one of these shows where you renovate houses. And well, it would be fun to have Locke do an HGTV show. Uh, he did, he does have experience. We'll see in lockdown that he had that uh, that home uh, approval company called Welcome Home. Ah, that's right. So, I mean, if you're talking about, like, Locke knows, uh, you know, it's a mile wide and hopefully more than an inch deep in terms of his knowledge, he does have legitimate life experience when it comes to this stuff, when it comes to the construction stuff.
2: Back in the jungle, Said and Jack, they think they're close to Russo's uh, compound, and they are just one problem rousseau is not there anymore and she's rigged it to blow and they step on a mine and they blow up the whole thing uh, uh and it's a it's it's sad there's nothing there thankfully no one got hurt uh nadia got a little bit hurt the picture <laughs> of nadia is like she's been through exists, worse but
3: yeah, just pour some milk on that and you're fine.
2: <laughs> yeah, they should have just milked the bunker and everything would have been a okay. Uh, meanwhile, Hurley and Charlie are going to start moving towards the blast because they heard it, uh, and so they they want to they want to see what's going on. Uh, and Charlie wants to know, like Hurley, why are you acting like a lunatic? One minute you're happy go lucky, Hurley. The next you're Colonel Kurtz, uh, and Hurley's really offended by the implications. I'm not crazy. I got my reasons. Charlie says, I got a right to know. And uh Hurley's about to tell Charlie what's up, but then there's a bullet. Yeah. And then Charlie's like, Wait, was that a bullet it's bullets, it's definitely bullets. You gotta run, gotta run, gotta run
3: right now. The Colonel Kurtz comparison is so interesting because this is not obviously the first time we've heard this. I believe Sawyer called lock cap Colonel Kurtz, and it is actually a very similar sort of perception where they're like, Well, this person is going out into the jungle pursuing their own secrets and sort of has their own identity about them. And yeah, I guess Hurley is acting a bit lockish here. And really just charging forward and not telling anybody what's going on. Yeah, yeah,
2: for sure. Uh, And much like Colonel Kurtz, he's going to be the the leader of a a great jungle community someday. So uh, hopefully it ends better for him than it did for Colonel Kurtz. Uh, We will never know. It's only in our headcanon. I choose to believe that Hurley lived a long and peaceful reign. Um, Mm. Let's go to the penultimate sound of the episode. and It's gonna be a long one. We're gonna play it in full. Uh, Hurley and Danielle Rousseau meet, and it is a wonderful scene.
0: You must be the French chick Where are you? Uh, Hurley I uh, uh, uh Said? That guy you tortured He uh They were on the plane uh, Look I came here to find Oh easy, easy, easy uh, I'm, I'm just getting your notes please tell me why you wrote this what do these numbers mean please I don't know what you don't know okay that thing in the woods maybe it's a monster Maybe it's a pissed off giraffe, I don't know. The fact that no one is even looking for us. Yeah, that's weird, but I just go along with it. So i I'm along for the ride. Good old fun time Hurley. Well, guess what? Now I want some friggin' answers.
1: our ship picked up a transmission a voice repeating those numbers we changed course to investigate after we shipwrecked my team continued to search for the transmission source it was weeks before we found the radio tower
0: there's a radio tower on this island?
1: yes, up by the Black Rock some of us continued search the meaning of those numbers while we waited for rescue but then the sickness came when my team was gone I went back up to the tower and changed the transmission
0: that distress signal we heard yes but the numbers did you ever find out anything about them do you know where they got their power? Power? They bring bad stuff to everyone around you. They're cursed. You know that, right? The numbers. They're
1: cursed. The numbers that what brought me here. As it appears, they brought you. Since that time, I've lost everything, everyone I cared about, so yes, I suppose you're right, they are cursed.
0: have no idea how long I've been waiting for someone to agree with me thank you oh god thank you thank you so much
3: <sighs> top five Hurley scene
2: in my opinion Ugh. wow uh
3: there's so many there's i know so many, i can't right? ask really me, like scenes, hey i really like this thing please rank it immediately against all these other moments from an, a 100 plus episode show but that's just but that's the strength of the show is that there are so many
2: scenes that feel like top five Hurley scenes at the very least uh you know there's ugh, this show's so
3: freaking good, man! Yeah, oh my god, I, I love it because this, I love it. Oh, because this, this is a different Hurley. Uh, you know, even though uh, they've reached the end of the wire a while ago, Hurley's at, such a
2: great a great range,
3: right? Yeah, like, Hurley, there's so many
2: different versions of Hurley in that
3: scene. Yeah, he's at the end of his rope right now, and I love the the first part of the monologue is is maybe one of my favorite parts besides just the the very relieved and very exhausted thank you. Uh, just because he is sort of lampshading what the audience and the other castaways assume of Hurley, right? I go along with it because I'm just along for the ride. Good old fun time Hurley, like he's regarded as such a a come with guy. Uh, you're coming with Hurley, you're probably leaving with Hurley as well when you go into the club because he's someone who's sort of like is a reliable assistant to everything. To the point where even when he wants to, and, and the aforementioned solitary, when he wants to start the golf course, everyone's like, ah, I don't know how I feel about this. It's very clear that. People like him, but I don't know if they necessarily regard him as somebody who they would listen to his opinions. And I cannot imagine how much that must frustrate him. And I think it brings a brand new dimension to this character where, yes, he's super jocular and has really funny responses. But in terms of the power dynamic of the group, there is sort of a component that we haven't really acknowledged, which is the fact right. that Hurley is not taken seriously. And that can be a good thing where it's like, hey, we'll turn to Hurley. You know, he'll make sure it's a good time. But at the end of the day, if you want to talk about something serious people won't entertain the conversation
2: right 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 um oh man it's just so good it's just so good the the whole uh good old fun time hurley like the, the frustration of like always like having to live up to that exactly i i I I mean I feel that so hard. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, you know, like I I project a very like big happy personality myself, and I'm so I'm very open about it. Like I I deal with my shit, and so like it can be like I often feel like a crazy person, and like when when that's like uh, when that's challenged too, like the way that Charlie does that to Hurley earlier in the episode, and why that's so like triggering and painful for Hurley. Like I feel that so deeply, but I I really feel that idea of like you expect so much out of me to just be your freaking clown to just like have to be like the joke guy the whole way through and like no i'm hurting right now and i i need to solve that i need to i need to i need to find some of that paste that Locke put on boone's head and heal that wound right now and that version of that for me is finding out what the Freaking numbers are, and I'm not just going to be telling jokes right now. I'm mad, and I'm I'm upset, and things have happened, and they need to be accounted for. And I and I just I I love that and Hurley, and I love that the writing allows him yeah. these moments, not just in this episode, but throughout Lost. That. Hurley is like the funniest character in so many ways, but he's also a serious, dramatic character too. He's not just the butt of a joke. Uh, I don't love like all the fat shaming shit that goes on with with Hurley throughout Lost and in this episode, and I think that it often is is reflective of the characters who are doing that. But sometimes it just feels like lazy, and it's just there hmm. just because it's an easy target. Uh, and I, and certainly that's that's not something that I that I love as as somebody who identifies with Hurley in in that way. Uh, and it's just it, it's upsetting. But like I. I I love that he's not who you traditionally think of as a leading man but they treat him like one in in a lot of these moments and this this scene with him and Rousseau is a leading man moment in in this really powerful way in this leading man episode that is both like um he's both comic relief and leading man he's both he's both the funny guy and the straight guy uh in 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 equal measure in this episode Mm. and it's a real testament to to Jorge Garcia's abilities as an actor uh that he does have that range and as much as we talk about like Josh Holloway as somebody who is underrated as an actor on this show I don't think that I can say enough for like really for so many of these main characters, but but Jorge Garcia is such a talented guy, such a talented guy. And it all comes across so well in this scene. And when he like, just everything that he says here to Russo, even though what he's talking about is, is different and the stakes involved are very different. But for me, like, a, a big, bolded same is like what <laughs> I stamp on that scene is like I, I really, really feel what he's talking about. And it's just it's, it's so cathartic to, to watch that moment.
3: What I find really interesting as well is that the character who he finally lets loose on is another character who sort of has this odd perception behind. this like her.
2: stigma of you're the crazy person. Right.
3: Exactly. Of like, oh, you're the crazy person in the jungle, even when Saeed knows her story and what sort of makes her who she is. He still comes back to camp, recounts the tale, and everyone's calling her the crazy French chick. And so I guess it is sort of like, I wouldn't call him an outsider, but I guess it's one offbeat acknowledging another, which begs the question, Josh, from Rousseau's perspective, why do you think she ultimately puts down the gun and entertains the conversation with Hurley? I think she I think she hears what I heard. <laughs> you know? Like I think that she's she's been
2: living this existence. Where she doesn't have people who are telling her she's crazy. She has circumstances that are telling her that you might be crazy or you're in danger. Like, one or the other, or maybe even a bit of both. Uh, And I think that, like, what she's getting in Hurley is, like, she's looking into a mirror, you know, for the first time in a long time. Like, she's seeing somebody who is saying things that are in different words and in a different language maybe than the one that she uses. But we know that Russo speaks many languages. Uh, and so she speaks Hurley, or at least she can understand Hurley. And what he's saying is like, yeah, yeah, no, I hear that. Okay. Let's talk. Like, I think like, and if there is that superpower that the writers were still trying to harness about Hurley of he can he can make you give him anything you want him to give you, then there are still like traces of that in like, he can make you come to him. You know what I mean? Like you meet him at his level in a moment like this.
3: I also wonder how much her last conversation with Saeed has opened her up to exploring things with just new people in general. Cause remember, you know, Saeed was one of the first people to visit her in quite some time, and obviously it ends with him uh, escaping her capture, but I feel like, you know, she doesn't shoot him there because he acknowledges sort of the the pain that she's been through. Maybe she sort of has this mentality of like, okay, maybe I do need to open myself up more to people who come my way. Now, granted, she did uh, booby trap her old place to blow up if anyone would uh, encounter it, but I mean, at least not an other. Seems like Saeed can uh, can vouch for him somewhat, and, and she sees some sort of weird kinship, and I wonder if this is sort of like an intermediary step between the first encounter with Saeed where she's a recluse and then Exodus part one where she is going to go to the camp and tell people about the smoke
2: right right uh is a great character too she really is I
3: I, I they're really all great. they're all great I love the drips and drabs we got get her in this first season as well we talked about how such a big deal her uh appearance was in solitary and you would think on paper oh yeah that means she's gonna appear in a handful of other episodes but no 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 she's been mentioned a few times but this is her first appearance in 9 episodes and a month plus uh two months plus of lost in real time which is crazy.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh it's been a, it's been a minute since we've seen her and it's going to be a minute until we see her again. Um let's go let's go back to there Said and Jack they're not pouring milk on the compound but the fire is gone all the same. Uh Said's got the burned up picture of Nadia. He tucks it away um and then hurley shows up charlie shows up first and he's like i don't know where hurley is and hurley's like yeah i'm right here and i've got batteries i talked to the french chick she says hey
3: yeah and that's just- and that's him going back to like fun time hurley right just a bit it, it's he's not exactly uh jolly about it but like he's throwing a little bit of a uh, snide funny remarks in there to be like hey, no everything's fine i just went to get batteries when really i think that was an opportunity for him to really open himself up and i wonder how much that conversation also led to him Deciding to reveal to Charlie, I know he was going to do it in the jungle, but when he finally decides to sit him down and open up about himself,
2: yeah, I, I don't even know that I read it as fun time Hurley necessarily. I feel it as like Hurley's relieved. I think that like Hurley got what he was looking for. Uh, he didn't get everything he was looking for, but he got some of it. He at least got like empathy from somebody for the first time telling him he's not insane for believing that the numbers are cursed. And so he's he's lighter when he comes back, even though he's got the battery, you know, in, in his backpack now. And he gives it to, you know, to Saeed. Um, but he he's come back from this situation. He's come back from this journey. He went out there to to find something. He found something, even if it wasn't everything that he wanted. And now he's just going back. He's on his way back to Fun Time Hurley, but this isn't quite Fun Time Hurley. I think this is like relieved Hurley, mm. and it's 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 funny because of just like you know Jorge Garcia has like very funny delivery, and just like she says, "Hey" is like a fun little aside. But what it is really to me is like you guys were so worried about me this whole time, and I did exactly what I set out to do. I'm coming back with a battery. She says, "Hey, by the way, you know it's just like stop underestimating me. I'm Hugo Hurley Reyes." I'm, I'm worth $156 million back home uh, and worth a lot more than that in my life. Uh, and it's great. It's just a totally great moment.
3: Yeah. And I also love the other Castaway's reactions to it. At least Saeed is scowling because he's like, why did I have to do this? But Jack almost has that like, you son of a bitch smile. Well, Jack
2: Jack loves Hurley. He does. And, I, you know, like
3: I said before, he's a reliable number two for Jack. Someone who yes. knows he can he can find it in him about Kate and he's happy that secret hasn't been revealed yet. Like, he feels like Hurley is a reliable person to go to, except maybe when Boone's on his deathbed, uh, since Hurley gets a little bit woozy from that. I think uh, we give Jack a
2: lot of shit on Down the Hatch, and much of it deserved, <laughs> but some of it not. Um, but one of the things that I love about Jack and Hurley, as a, one, of, one of my favorite on-screen duos of Lost, uh, I love that Jack sees him. You know, Mm. he he sees Hurley for who he is. Uh, And there are times where he treats Hurley maybe more delicately than he needs to. But a lot of times where he just treats Hurley like an adult uh, and just like treats him as like an equal, uh, completely equal playing field. And it's not pandering. It's because I think he's he like in the way that Locke says he sees value in people like sometimes. Yeah, and and sometimes that's true, but other times I think like it's a little bullshitty and it's a little self-serving. There's nothing self-serving about the way that Jack does see Hurley as a full equal. Um, and I and I think that that speaks volumes about Jack. Uh, and it's why you know the best decision that Jack makes on the show, in in many regards, is uh, to take on the leadership mantle for a day to solve the crisis solves the crisis and then knows that the long-term solution part of the crisis solving situation is hurley's obviously the guy who should be in charge right. hurley's obviously the guy uh because he's got a front row seat to the way that hurley deals with people all the way through lost uh jack knows that his bedside manner is bullshit but hurley's is not hurley has the best bedside manner in all the land um and so he sees that and so i, I love that moment here as well where, where jack does look inside he's like yeah, I wasn't really worried about this. You were the one who was really steaming, man. Uh, and, yeah, and we're coming back with a battery, so what do you want?
3: Yeah, and Saeed's able to uh, hand it off. Jack gives him a nice little, like, reaffirming pat on the shoulder, and it seems like the Roft is going to keep on keeping on.
2: Uh, so they go back, yeah, they give him the battery. We go back to Locke and Claire. Uh, Locke's asking if they've got a—if she's thought of a name— for the baby yet and this is where claire confides that she was thinking about giving her baby up for adoption and i'm
3: pretty sure i was looking back in my notes for raised by another i'm pretty sure she's the first person she's told about this i think that's Island. right i don't I think, think she even right. told charlie about it amidst the uh hysterical stuff going on
2: maybe though because uh because he uh she told him about like coming to los angeles and that that, that malkin wanted her to go to los angeles so how does she like tell that story without saying like i'm gonna give him up for adoption um, I don't know. We we could we could bat that back and forth for a while. I, I don't think that we would get a solid answer. And I think that there's a there's a chance that he knows. Either way, it's her birthday, Mike. Yeah. HBD. Why don't you tell anyone? DCL. uh Everybody uh, drinks on drinks on me. Uh, Claire gets free drinks tonight at least. Yeah, you can balance uh, a
3: drink on her belly, so drinks would uh, be on. She her, probably literally. shouldn't
2: be drinking mocktails. Mocktails. She and I can have mocktails. Uh, Milktails.
3: Milk t- <laughs> milktails,
2: woohoo! Uh, and so, so she's, uh, you know, she's saying it's my birthday, and Locke's like, "Why didn't you tell anybody?" She's like, "Well, I'm pregnant, I'm single, I'm on an island in the middle of nowhere. What does it matter?" Uh, and Locke goes, "I guess it doesn't," <laughs> which I like. Uh, he says, "But at least your birthdays are close together, and that's good luck." She goes, "You believe that? You believe in luck?" He says, "I believe in a lot of things." And then he presents to her a birthday present, a crib baby not yet named aaron and
3: says happy
2: birthday claire
3: uh, and oh my gosh it's so cute i love that so i guess you know if we're talking about what Locke knows uh, i guess all the, the person who would know their birthdays might be hurley right i'm assuming that their date of birth is in the manifest maybe yeah. but i mean do you think could this be a galaxy brain type of thing where Locke got a sense that it was claire's birthday so he purposely like gave her this present today of all days or did just that just happen to be are we mistaking coincidence for fate
2: yeah we could be mistaking coincidence for fate like we can you know it's been a while since we've is that a smoke monster uh like could like he have been like guided towards like it's gonna be important to keep claire close to you at some point down the line so let's just do that right now um but i i like to think that it's just sort of that like uh some things are are predestined quality to or it could
3: be a matter of like he gets a sense of her like maybe she's acting even more distant than normal, because this is, for all we know, this is the first birthday that somebody is celebrating on the island. Granted, Aaron will have his literal birthday in a couple of episodes, but that's a, it's a weird occasion. You know, I think it sort of cements in your head, like, wow, I've been here for some time that I'm celebrating my birthday stranded on a desert island. I, I think maybe Locke noticed that behavior in her and decided to maybe pull her out of her funk and end up making a gift for her in the process. But it is it's legitimately sweet. Before we get into weird Lock Claire stuff in season two, we have some very nice moments between the two of them here. All right, how about one last nice
2: ish moment? Uh, it's going to start as like a potential nice moment, and then it, it becomes a bear your soul moment uh, that is not entirely reciprocated, and then it becomes a nightmare moment. Uh, so we'll we'll, we'll begin uh, where Hurley is going to be by a fire. He is uh, drying his shirt, and Charlie will show up, and he will have a quip for Hurley, and let us take us through this final sound of the episode. I know
1: food's scarce, but you should?
0: When you find a laundromat, let me know. Back in the jungle. Before we became target practice, you were going to tell me what inspired this little quest? I think the plane crash might have been my fault. Don't be daft. How could you possibly... Hey, before we came here, a lot of bad stuff used to happen whenever I was around. What, you mean like bad luck? Yeah, that's. That'd be kind of um mellow way of describing it. Early. Bad things happen. Planes crash. People die. Dude, you really gotta let me finish. You think you're the only person with baggage?
2: You know what I was doing when the plane went down? I was snorting heroin. In the toilet.
1: I was such a junkie. I couldn't even take a plane ride without having a fix. I suppose that was your fault as well.
2: So how about it?
0: What? I just told you the biggest secret
2: in my life. Thought you'd want to reciprocate.
1: okay
0: back home i'm worth 156 million dollars fine don't tell me
2: dude i bear my soul and all i get is bloody jokes numbers are on the
3: hatch! The numbers are on the hatch! Oh my goodness, big twist! That sort of pays off! Kind of! Kind of! Um, I mean,
2: it, 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 the numbers are good for narrative juice, but do they make sense? A thing we
3: will discuss as we get deeper into this podcast! Before we get into that, uh, can I just speak for a second about this idea of superstition? Because I feel like while Hurley sort of has this attitude pervading throughout the episode, it really comes to the forefront here when he's talking to Charlie about how Uh, You know what? I think I made the plane crash, which, first of all, I cannot imagine how much Hurley has had that guilt weighing over his head with everything that's happened. And, assumingly, everything that's going to happen, at least in the near future, before he finally realizes the whole make-your-own-luck thing. That, like, oh, all these people's lives are miserable, some people are dead because of what I ended up doing uh, with my own actions— Josh, before I really treated my own mental health, I was an extremely superstitious person. Really? Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, like, I mean, I guess, you know, there's a lot of discourse online as to whether or not superstition sort of, uh, how much it sort of veers into the territory of, like, OCD. And it was to the point where, you know, if I would do something, I'd be like, okay, I have to wear this specific shirt, I have to drink this specific beverage, a nice milk tail, I have to make sure I've done this, this, and this, like, I had a tradition that I would map out in my early 20s that I would need to go through. Uh, and the weird thing about superstitions is that, from my perspective, it is a weird dichotomy where it is some, simultaneously an anxiety reliever and an anxiety inducer. Uh, it's a reliever because if you do all this stuff and something bad happens, it's you don't believe it's your fault, right? You can say, well, it's out of my control. I did everything and it just so happens that, you know, maybe something else happened, the stars just weren't aligned. But at the same time, if you happen to not do one of these things, you didn't follow your method to a T, then you feel terrible. Mm-hmm. And like Hurley here, you feel like it's your fault. That something that was completely out of your control, as we'll find out at the end of season two, is your own fault. And so uh, I'm going to take your same stamp from the Rousseau scene and stamp it onto Hurley here. And that that was something that I have dealt with most of my life just overwhelming guilt and blaming myself for events and things that happened to people that i had absolutely nothing to do with but because i thought i did not satiate some sort of universal truth in doing a certain amount of things like you
2: missed a ritual or whatever yeah, yeah that it was
3: that it was my fault for doing so and so to see hurley really struggle with this sort of brought me back to that and it makes me even happier that you know I've been able to find a bit more solace. Uh, I definitely have stepped away from that mentality, and Hurley does eventually as well. So it's it's a crazy reminder of like from both of our perspectives where we yeah. came from and and where we end up going to.
2: Oh yeah, and I'm listen. I I'm still struggling with with a bunch. It, you saying some of that uh, reminds me, and it's it's nothing that I ever looked in the eye really um, until now. Uh, that like I definitely it, I don't think that it really happens to me much anymore, but I've definitely gone through like waves in my life of uh like i i would I, I had like specific clothes that were like my lucky clothes, yeah, like that was that's my lucky shirt, um and like if I had like a very important thing to do, like if I had like a very important day on the job or something that I knew was going to matter a lot, I would dress for it. Like I would, I would put the T-shirt on. uh, I would. I don't. I. I think it was. I think I had like. I had a few T-shirts that I considered. Like you guys, you're you're my guys. You're my best shirts. You will see me through. This is going to happen because this is being worn by me. Uh, But even more so than the shirts, I don't don't mean to overshare. I lucky underwear. Of course, Uh, and like I have. uh, I have certain pairs of underwear that are like by far and away. My favorite pairs of underpants uh and they would be like my lucky underpants, and I had like a pair of uh of of gray boxers uh with like blue stripes on the side and like a blue trim uh on the waistband that like I would always wear those when i when I had something high stakes going on uh they definitely came to me uh came with me to Cambodia for my first survivor trip and they they were like very much close to the end of the the, the line at that point. <laughs> And so they did not come home. That's your line. And that would be the thing is like I would feel like I had to like I had to let them die in like a uh, in a meaningful way. Right. Like at that point it was like it was okay, but it had to be like this really heavy meaningful thing uh that I that I had to like I had to like bury my underwear basically. Uh and then <laughs> I had uh I had this pair of I had I had uh, I had blue underwear with orange trim that then became like my new gray underwear with blue trim and I had to make like a similar uh like a like ceremonial burial of of those and even then like I was so upset to, to lose lose the, the pair that I that I took the orange band with me. This was in Fiji for wow. one of the Survivor trips. Uh, and, like, everybody knew about it. And so, Mike, you know some of these people on this trip, so I'll, I'll paint a picture for, for people who, who don't know them. Uh, Mike and I become, you know, very friendly with, with a lot of the people, like the CBS, EPK people who, who go out there, are just, like, tremendous, tremendous human beings. The publicists are all wonderful. Definitely, you know, a, a huge aspect of the things that I will miss the most about covering the show. Mm. Uh, but but uh, Jason, you know, Jason is, mm-hmm. is one of the one of the camera guys uh, who if you've seen the spearfishing video uh, of Mike and I in, in Fiji, he's the guy who who made that. Uh, he he thought that the orange band was the funniest thing. And like he has like this big throaty cough laugh uh, and he kept calling it the underband, the underband uh, like he could not get he could. He's like, you got to wear the underband to the challenge today. Uh, and like the underband like stayed with me for a while. And like I kept bringing it out to Fiji because it felt lucky and it felt very deeply associated it's an interesting thing that we do with rituals and like you know and and like some of it is helpful i'm sure that like i i don't know where i fall necessarily on the issue of like was the underband just gross and (laughs) weird and insane or was there some magic there and i don't know like i can't i can't walk away from that story with like a a clear feeling or a clear a clear look in the 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 eye of it um but you bring that up just like brought that up in me it's it's very interesting hurley's great man he's a, he's a conduit to a lot of the conversations that you and i just like to have that yeah. i think you and i would just be having anyway if we were just two friends hanging out rather than two friends hanging out on a podcast i think this is the stuff that you and i talk about a lot anyways just like we you know you're you're one of my very favorite people on the planet, just full stop, but uh you're Great. one of my Same. very favorite people on the planet to talk to about this stuff because you get it like you you know you've been through your shit and we're constantly like head checking each other right like we're constantly like how are you feeling like where are you at with this stuff uh, like I've recently uh started taking medication and you've been a rock for me through that of like this is okay, you're not a weirdo for having to do this like this is good for you uh and uh and Hurley. It just unlocks so much of that stuff yeah uh just talking about hurley is like a, a real incredible uh eye of the needle through talking about so much about mental health and uh and and you know i don't know no
3: I don't no, know. no i'm I, rambling I, I, but, no and yeah. i think that you know characters will certainly have their own struggles to deal with but i guess this is sort of like another reason why hurley is regarded as a quote-unquote everyman character is i think he has grown up with certain stigmas in his life, or very uh, unfortunate, unusual circumstances that feel relatable in this perspective. And this is a great, you know, I did not get this take on everything when I watched Lost even back, you know, definitely not at the time, but even when I was rewatching it back in 2015, because I had been somebody who I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. Why you know, he would want to pursue all that, because like, yeah, the, the numbers are unlucky. And I... You know what? I'll be completely candid. Uh, I know that we ended up fostering a great friendship, but one of our first brouhaha's was one of one of the first podcasts we did together where I ranked Trisha Tanaka's dead at, like, number 50. <laughs> yeah. And uh. you were furious. And to be quite candid, it was because, at the time, I thought the theme of Make Your Own Luck was bullshit. And I have very much come around on that idea. It's this thing of, like, listen, you could sit and wallow if something bad happens and blame yourself for not bringing your underband, uh, you know, with you in the car. Or you could make things an actionable item. And that's really what I've been trying to do to help my own mental health. And it's made me even more excited to approach that because I have been trying to make my own luck instead of relying on random things or procedures to make me feel better mentally. And it was freaking scary at the time. I felt like Hurley riding a Dharma van down a hill, but eventually that motor kicks and you take the wheel. You don't let anything else take the wheel, and it is such an incredible feeling, and I'm really, really excited to get to that episode down the line.
2: Yeah, but it's just great to get through numbers, too, man, because like yeah. so much of that is, is, is here as well. Um. Oh, my God. All right. Well, we got we still got more podcasts to do. So let's 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 get into it. I'm sure we'll keep talking uh, a lot about Hurley as we go through. Uh, before we get into the others, let's take a quick second to thank our sponsors for this episode, our friends over at CBS All Access and their new uh, season of Kevin Williams is Tell Me a Story currently streaming on CBS All Access. Uh, Mike, uh, favorite fairy tales from from your life? Uh, the, the Tale of the Orange Underband? Is it the tale
3: of the guy who bought everybody free drinks at the club? Yeah, that feels, with, like, or an or a, that the feels like an that Aesop's brought? fable of like, <laughs> oh, look what it's like the Midas touch almost for this guy where everything he touches <laughs> turns into a drink.
2: Oh, my God. Well, the new season of Kevin Williamson's Tell Me a Story is going to take the world's most well-known fairy tales and reimagine them as a dark and twisted psychological thriller. It's exploring an entirely new set of characters. This season's featuring three legendary stories, Beauty and the Beast, Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella. Uh, That's what drew me to Tell Me a Story. It's streaming now on CBS All Access. Uh, Here's a little bit of what you can expect. Paul Wesley... From the Vampire Diaries, Ian Summerhalder's buddy, he is going to be on this show. Carrie Ann Moss from The Matrix and Jessica Jones, her Jessica Jones co star, Eka Darville, on the show as well. Matt Lauria, Friday Night Lights shout out. The new season was shot on location in Nashville, which means there's original music woven into the stories that you're not going to want to miss. Uh, so if you want to sign up today for CBS All Access by going to cbs.com slash post, you'll get your first week of CBS All Access for free and you can stream the new season of tell me a story for yourself doesn't that sound nice that sounds like a fairy tale in and of itself cbs.com slash post to get your first week of cbs all access for free let's hop into the feedback mike we already killed one other at the top of the show so much like going the castaways r- did much like the castaways did, we're going straight in to other number two, and we are doing some, ooh, in translation, uh, uh, cleanup here. Uh, and this was a a different perspective on Jin. Uh, you know, you and I spent a lot of time uh, talking about how uh, Jin... Um, is misunderstood and is a much more heroic character than, than he looks and is holding on to a lot of pain and trauma in his own right and uh, you know really steps into into the light in a better way here um, but this was a, a really solid piece of feedback from Sarah Nott Stripes, who writes in uh, a little bit of a long one so I'll read it. This episode is really hard for me. Jin does a number of things that are abusive by definition both physically and emotionally. I think we often justify his behavior in the show because we know that the character arc for Jin and Son is one of growth and love but the the presentation that arc is actually the thing I worry about the most. I've always hated the message it sends, which is one that most people suffering emotional or physical abuse already internalize, that their partner that their partner didn't used to be like this, and that one day they won't be like this again. Unfortunately, we know that this is very rarely the case and that it wouldn't make up for the pain caused in the past, even if they were to change. Even the bystanding in this episode is pretty troubling. Calling out the gawkers, I see, Sarah not mm-hmm. stripes. Uh, she says, Hurley coming to support Jin after the fight and saying he didn't want to get in the middle of husband and wife stuff is deeply cringy for me. I'm wondering if you think that the show could get away with Jin treating Sun this harshly and then turning their arc into an epic love story if the show were filmed today. Ultimately, though, we would lose some of the show's amazing romantic moments between these two characters. I don't think that relationship would likely be written this way today, and I think. That's a good thing. Um, I think Sarah is right, uh, yeah. or at least that that, that I hope uh, that she's right in this idea of, like, I don't think that it would be written this way today, uh, and that that is a good thing. Um, that, like, a, a show that's of high quality would come along and maybe treat that story more responsibly. Um, and it's not a perspective that I considered in my assessment of Jin at all, and I think it's a very valuable one to, to put on the table.
3: Completely agree. And I think that, you know, I think that our perspectives in the world may have colored a bit in our own assessments of gin and that like you and I have both been in, you know, positions uh, in our respective relationships where like, we did something maybe a bit secretive. That was a bit misunderstood. And so I, and I think, you know, us wanting to like these characters as well, uh, you know, may have, you're
2: talking about the orange underband.
3: Exactly. Like,
2: look, yeah, and we didn't know about that. So nobody narc me out. The orange underband is gone, by the way, I did eventually throw it away.
3: Did you burn it like curly shirt? I don't remember where it is. Uh, Uh-oh. So, so it's somewhere in Fiji, I think. Oh, boy. Well, I think that, you know, I I think Cher makes a great point in that no matter what we say about Jin's character and his motivations, that shouldn't invalidate the things that he did In the first bunch of episodes, like, I still think what he did, you know, between, like, really being harshly protective of son, you know, uh, we talked about him tackling Michael and, like, nearly beating him to death, it does not look good. It's good to have some sort of substantiation as to why he feels that way, but I agree that I don't know if it excuses his actions, and I agree as well that I will say, I think if this relationship was shown today, it would start out very differently. You know, like, I would say in our era of anti-heroes that I don't think they would shy away from maybe showing him more of those, some of those intense emotional moments between the two. But I don't think we would start out with him, to be quite honest, being such an asshole in the first few episodes. I think they would want to say, okay, let's have you, like, sort of get a picture of who this guy is before we really villainize him a touch. Because otherwise, nobody's going to get on board in this character, even if we get to know him later on.
2: All right, let's go to other number three. let Let's talk the numbers numbers let's talk about the valenzetti equation uh which if i'm being fully honest which is what i strive to do here on this podcast i
3: still kind of don't get it it's a i kind of don't get the valenzetti thing it's a weird thing because i know that like there's uh and we're gonna get into this like there's a point in time where damon's like oh no we don't want to explain the numbers and then cut to like a couple of years later we had this whole like Lost Missing Pieces ARG, where you watch a video from Alvar Hanso who explains the Valenzetti equation.
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely like I followed along with that stuff. I did. I did the I did the viral thing. I did the ARG. But I don't think that like I ever fully understood what any of it really meant. And <laughs> I think like the longer that Lost went on and very clearly like the Valenzetti thing wasn't going to be in the in the world of the show in any meaningful way. I kind of lost interest in it. So this is, a, this is a thin area of expertise in the Lost world for me. Um, but let's talk about the numbers. Uh, the Ben behind the curtain collated a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff uh, as it pertains to the numbers in the Valenzetti equation. First is this quote uh, from David Fury uh, from an interview he did on Lostpedia. Uh, he said, When I started writing the episode, I already figured to use numbers that had been heard on the show. Four was the number of years Locke was in a wheelchair. Eight 15, that's flight 815, etc. Uh, When I confirmed my number choices with Damon, I was still missing the last number. I thought to make it 42 as an homage to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the answer to the ultimate question. After that, I can only assume that Damon was the Easter egg dropper of how often you get the numbers. Um, This is uh, Damon Lindelof in in that aforementioned Vox interview where he is talking about how the numbers came up and uh, the explanation behind them. He begins this quote by saying, Now, this is going to sound incredibly naive, bordering on just stupid, but it's just true. I was like, Oh, the numbers don't really feel like they're going to require an explanation. It's like the sequence of number that happens to coalesce with with Rousseau's message, something that is written on the exterior of the hatch, and they're also the numbers that Hurley won the lottery with. They're just cursed. The sequence is cursed. But as soon as the numbers became the sensation that they were, we instantly realized the show can't just say that those numbers are just cursed. We really needed to start. Really, baking. What do those numbers correspond to? I think that's what the audience was asking us when they say, "What do the numbers mean?" And then they became the birth of this construct that we ended up with with uh, season six, with the candidates. That these numbers actually had to correspond to characters on the shows them- on the show themselves. We always try to answer mythological mysteries with character answers, and that certainly took some doing. Uh, so that's from Damon Lindelof as far as the numbers end up uh, corresponding with the candidates at the end i will also say i i know that i've said that like my feelings on like the valenzetti stuff is pretty thin i'm a little bit of like a shoulder shrug when it comes to like the numbers specifically corresponding with candidates mm. like i kind of just like don't care it's like the numbers are a thing in the lost universe they don't really need to be more than that for me i think that like damon's first instinct of like the numbers don't require an explanation i think like matching that to the culture and certainly the culture surrounding lost uh there definitely ended up being, like, this big feeling of, like, the numbers have to mean something. Um, But with distance and, like, with, you know, some remove from the show, I I guess, like, I don't know how you land that plane easily. Yeah. You know, like, how do you do that without it, like at best landing like ajira did like you could fly <laughs> it later but like it's gonna be in rough shape
3: yeah uh, i think that something very pertinent from this interview is that in, an, in his initial talk about things damon compared the numbers to uh the revelation of chlorians from the star wars prequels and i actually think it's very apt and what damon basically said was like once they revealed that there was a tangible scientific explanation behind becoming a jedi then it sort of I wouldn't say ruins the experience of watching the first trilogy, but definitely warps your perception of things where it really makes you feel like now I have to assign reason to each and everything. And I feel like the numbers to quote another Lindelof show is sort of one of those mysteries that we should let be. Right. I I feel like honestly, any explanation of the numbers would have just been a letdown, you know, like there's really nothing I guess the Valenzetti equation is probably the closest we're going to get to a quote unquote truth about the numbers outside of the candidates. But really, in terms of all the other times it pops up uh, just around the world, it just seems like more like a fun Easter egg. And I think if you think about it like that, and I can understand, you know, uh, we'll get into the 4.2 stars later, but I think some people maybe rate this episode a bit lower than the two of us because there is this idea of, even in retrospect, like, well, the numbers didn't really mean anything besides the candidates. And I guess. I can understand that, but at the same time, I also kind of respond like, "Do they need to? Or if they did, what would be an outcome that you would have saw and not necessarily thought would have been a failure in terms of uh, conceptualization and carrying it out?" Right. Um, all right.
2: Well, let's talk. Let's talk, Valenzetti. Uh, this is. Uh... This is from Javier Griot, mark Swatch who is who's deeply involved in that stuff. Uh, he writes in the Lost Will and Testament, Much of my work during the second season involved fleshing out the Dharma initiative's origins, discerning the meaning of the numbers, planting the Valenzetti equation firmly in series Canon, and creating a narrative for the work of the Hanzo Foundation, both for the st- for the series and for a massive transmedia project called the lost experience the lost experience was an alternate reality game that took place between seasons two and three of the show uh, we'll, we'll talk about that more later this isn't this isn't um, this isn't Javi's words anymore this is this is what the Ben behind the curtain has written for us um, as part of the lost experience it's revealed that the Valenzetti equation was an equation that predicts the exact number of years and months until humanity extinguishes itself the Dharm initiative were conducting experiments to determine whether that equation could be changed the Dharm initiative believed believed that if any of their experiments succeeded in changing the equation, their broadcast of the numbers from the radio tower would automatically change, hence why the numbers were being broadcast on repeat. Uh, Gary Troop, who's the guy who gets sucked into the engine uh, bad, during the twin. Crash, bad Twin, uh, was an expert in the Valenzetti equation, having written a book on it. Um, Ben Martell, what a hero this man is, because he is going to attempt to tie it all together. And he's written this for us. You ready? This is from, uh, Ben. He says, it seems possible that you can fit together the Valenzetti equation and the ultimate explanation of the candidates. The man in black leaving the island would have caused the end of the world. The candidates were Jacob's plan for stopping it happening. Perhaps the Valenzetti equation was counting down to the moment in time at which Jack's final showdown with the Man in Black was taking place. And upon the Man in Black's death, perhaps the numbers finally changed.
3: Would it go down to, like, zero? Or yeah. or would it be like, Men in Black 2 comes out, and Tommy Lee Jones is now ready to, to escape from the island? Uh, yeah, so this is, I think this is probably the most canonical explanation we'll get to the numbers, is this Valenzetti equation, and the fact that, you know, what... Uh, Rusty and the blowfish heard and what Toomey and lenny heard was the broadcast but f- from the island by the dharma initiative essentially uh to like the Hanso foundation backers of like hey these are the numbers just so you know this is a project that we're working on so i guess it does have qualities in that regard but like i said before i think any other sort of uh recurrences like for example when we get into exodus part two the big hurley montage of him trying to make his flight I feel like those are just like coincidental wink, wink, nudge, nudges more so than it is like, oh, yes, that predicts the end of the world. Right. The, this, the, In terms of the on-island stuff, that's what happens. And I guess that's the reason why, you know, uh, it's, on, it's a serial number on the hatch. It's why you have to press the button every 108 minutes. So it's all connected back from an island perspective to this Valenzetti equation where apparently humanity will be extinguished.
2: Look, if like if you're if you're if your love for lost is so deep that you really need or if like you're if the way that you read lost or the way that you read tv or or a story of any kind uh is such that like the multimedia really has to tie in in a very satisfying way and so the lost experience is very important to you in that regard and so the valenzetti equation is very important to you in that regard as it pertains to the numbers then i think that ben's explanation here is the best i've encountered by far I agree. so if, if that real, if that really matters to you I would say, go back, listen to what we just read from Ben Martel. That is the answer that I would stick with. Uh, I th- I think that's good. But my, my greater instinct is, I don't really care that much. I just like the numbers, and they're fun, and they're cursed, and they lead to great moments. And uh, Mike cursed us with the 42,000 zip codes. But and- then 69
3: saved the day. <laughs> that's
2: the new number. That's what the balance yeah, equation changes and the, and the and the, uh, the new man in charge are like, and you just hear uh, like
3: four, eight, fifteen, sixty, twenty three, sixty yes. nine. <laughs> oh, it's like Adam
2: Sandler shouting it 69 uh, all right let's keep going uh let's go into some proper feedback here uh, with uh this is a story from Phoebe speaking of mental health Mike this is a great um a, a great comment from Phoebe that we've uh, we've had for a while actually we've been waiting for the numbers episode to get to it uh this is what Phoebe wrote to us uh, she said the episode numbers always reminds me of a time in my life when I was also struggling with mental health I have a form of OCD called harm OCD and it causes repetitive intrusive thoughts seven years ago i was battling ocd and binged lost when i first heard the numbers they got stuck in my head and i ended up reciting them to ward off the intrusive thoughts it's not a very good strategy for the long term but it helped me until i was able to get into a hospital and get on medication by the time i got help i felt exactly like hurley with danielle near the end of the episode thank you so much you don't know how long i've been waiting for someone to listen I know it's just a TV show, but sometimes weird things help people uh, see the orange underpants. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hope that however you are both doing currently you find something weird to help when it gets bad. I know this podcast is a good distraction and a big help to a lot of people. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels this way. Phoebe, we feel this way too. Down yeah. the Hatch is definitely that for me right now.
3: Completely agree. And uh, thank you so much for being so open and sharing your story. You know, I- I'm glad to hear that you were able to get the the treatment that you needed. But yeah, th- there are little tokens from the world that we can sometimes bring in to to help us you know cope through the bad times that light in the darkness and so i'm happy that the numbers were able to help you there i I, I cannot imagine how much you know you're able to associate lost with that difficult time and how it was able to to get you through so thank you so much for for sending this to us co-signed next other
2: uh from stefan johnson in your opinion does the answer to the numbers pay off
3: i think we covered that uh, it's just like kind of no but like it doesn't really matter <laughs> i don't really care yeah, to the point where like yes they bring in the candidates thing but they sort of like do away with that as well i honestly feel like the numbers sort of are done uh once the hatch blows up in a way right well i guess hurley sort of talks about the the numbers when he actually goes into the hatch but at least by season three we're not really talking about him anymore
2: yeah not really i mean uh yeah Oh, you see him again, like when you go back in time to season five, and they print the thing on the thing on the hatch on the side of the Swan Station as they're building it back up. And then yeah, and you know what? Done. I
3: blame Redzinski for all this. Yeah, it really is Redzinski's fault. What a jerk! And he he pulls his own Sam to me with the shotgun as well. Yeah, that's true. That's right uh other number
2: seven from daniel brennan do you guys seek out the numbers in real life i certainly do for example i'm more likely to set the volume on my tv to 42 than 40 or choose locker 23 than 20 at the gym guilty as charged (laughs) take that same stamp back josh oh man uh yeah i mean like i definitely like and this this is crazy. Or maybe it's not crazy because like we said like don't be so stupid. Yeah, you're you're in your fair company here. Uh but I I definitely like pick like the 23 seats on planes. Hmm. Or 42s if I can or fours or eights or 15s or 16s if there's anything open there like I I typically will go for.
3: it. I love that though. <laughs> it's dangerous.
2: Living life on the wild side.
3: Exactly, only 6 numbers to choose out of yeah. an entire plane. I mean, Uh, To answer my part of the question, just go to Robin Akiva Need a Podcast, episode 60 Game Night.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I don't play them in any sort of uh, 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 competitive uh, situation. wouldn't dare. Nothing for, like, great personal gain. That's where you cross the line. That's the line that, uh, that's that's the line. Everybody with me. (laughs) Uh, other, Other number eight is about the jelly beans. So, Four billion eight hundred and fifteen million one hundred sixty-two thousand three hundred and forty-two beans were in the Carney's jar. Yes,
3: we've all that's seen. We've math. all seen Rent, Josh. We know the number.
2: That's so apparently that's bigger than the size of a pony, according to some math that Scott French did.
3: Wow. The we had a French guy come in and do science. Who would have thought? The blowfish live. <laughs>
2: Here comes the French the, the Frenchman. Uh so I I can't I we've got like a really big piece of feedback from Scott French that I cannot read in its entirety because <laughs> it involves math and my father is the mathematician, not me. I do the words. Uh but let's just say that it's a lot. It's a lot. It's too much. There's too. There's way. There's way too many uh, jelly beans or beans in the in the in the jar. Yeah, it it, makes it, sense. The way he
3: describes it again, for using words instead of numbers to put this in perspective. Stand at the throw line of a bowling alley, which is a place that both of us have have frequented a lot. Now step backwards until you reach the seating area behind the scoring computer. Now look to how far away the bowling pins are. It's that far that wide and that tall you could fill a structure full of those jelly beans it'd be many different ponies is what it would have to fill it'd be an entire stable of ponies (laughs) it'd be the Kentucky Derby essentially
2: yeah uh and Eric Divestein had chimed in and is like uh how long would it take to count that number of beans you know so it's like what if, if you're gonna make that bet and then someone challenges you on it uh it would be very hard to challenge but beyond that if the game master had counted them. At an impressive rate, this is Divestein's uh math, at an impressive rate of ten beans per second, it would take over fifteen years of counting twenty-four hours per day without any breaks to count them all. Uh so Sam, Sam Toomey did a did a really good job. And also the bean counter uh did a great job of uh dedicating their life's work to this
3: con yeah i was gonna say good on the town of guiji or Ugigi or whatever it was for uh being so strict or or so you know dedicated to the cause that they're willing to stay up 24 hours a day to count these beans out wherever the town was australia
2: (laughs) Uh, All right, Uh, other number nine. How did the wait for a Hurley episode play in 2005 Uh, from from Daniel Brennan? I can't believe it took until episode 18 for Hurley to receive a flashback. I wasn't watching yet, but I imagine he was a fan favorite at the time. John Krause weighs in as well. I remember watching season one live as it went out on the air in 2004 and 5. As much as I loved episodes like All the Best Daddies and Outlaws, I remember being frustrated that some characters were getting second episodes before others got one. So I was so excited when it was revealed that we were going to get a Hurley episode uh yeah i think that that's the feeling i think that's the feeling of like what it was like to be watching lost live that like when you found out that we were getting a hurley episode you're like "Ooh, spicy very fancy uh that's a spicy mr clucks uh and i i think that's a big piece of why i love this episode so much is its historical quality too uh like yeah like the first flashbacks are always special for any character but the fact that it took so long To get to Hurley's, because clearly there was a lot of internal debate in terms of like, how do we depict that? And they knew that it was so important to depict it right that they really took their time with it. Uh, And I think that the that that patience uh, or at least that process uh, really, really pays off in in a huge way.
3: Absence makes the heart grow fonder and Hurley is the bleeding heart of the show. Uh, Lindy
2: Steiner writes: uh, Should Charlie have believed Hurley, or was there nothing Hurley could have said about this about his life uh, that Charlie uh, Charlie would have believed? Because it seems so unbelievable. Yeah, I think that uh, Charlie uh, just like outright poo pooing what Hurley is talking about. Uh, given who Hur- who Charlie is, that he's a celebrity on the island, he's not going to like give Hurley any
3: rope here to be like, oh. I buy that. Yeah, it's so interesting. Charlie is kind of a git here uh, in the final scene. We didn't talk about it in the final sound, but yeah, I think that... And the way, like, I understand his intentions in being like, hey, I'm gonna, like, be vulnerable as well to, you know, make you feel open enough to tell me about your secret. But it presents itself as, well, I did this, so now you have to do that too. And it's like... And then then he ends up, like, saying, no, you're lying, bye. It's just... A terrible look for Charlie at the end of this episode, especially when Hurley, I mean, as Charlie says, "You, I bared my soul to you and all I get are bloody jokes. And that's sort of like Hurley in a nutshell, right? Yeah. Like he just bared his soul to Charlie and Charlie takes it as a joke. And that's a terrible fate for him um
2: all right let's go to other number 11 uh on the topic of claire's birthday april april thomas had written in and asked us uh if Locke knew that it was claire's birthday or it was just a happy coincidence for the baby shower gift uh we we weighed in on that a bit what we didn't weigh in on is this question from scott french who said claire's been helping Locke build a cradle for hours and she still can't tell what it is because it's upside down (laughs) maybe she thinks it's some sort of like lobster trap (laughs) yeah could be got lobsters on the island uh, from Ben Martell the selfless side of John Locke uh, Ben writes I love the story of Locke building Claire a Cradle so much that in the Lost auction after Lost was done I tried to buy the Cradle I had a $1,000 budget and it wasn't enough Wow um, uh, Ben continues Locke has a reputation from season one as a Machiavelli looking for pawns but I think this scene really shows the heart of who Locke is he cares about people and he's trying to really help them even if his idea of what helps them tends to revolve around his own worldview." The way he helps everyone, Charlie, Boone, Walt, here it's Claire, all seems very selfless and intent. I feel as though Locke gets a really bad and undeserved reputation as a schemer when I think that he isn't really a calculated schemer. He just looks like one. This is because the way he helps the others tends to help him and because he presents himself as so assured and confident in what he's doing, even when it's not necessarily the best choice. What do you think? Um, ben, I think that all of those things might be true. Um, I think it. I think it can be both true that Locke is often um, altruistic uh, and is, is, uh, is helping people because he wants them to see their potential, whatever that means to them. And he just wants them to feel as good about themselves as he's trying to feel about himself. But it can also be true that sometimes Locke doesn't feel so good about himself. Uh, And the process of making other people feel good about themselves maybe helps him feel better about himself. Um, And it can also be true that Locke, as a person who can be a bit self-loathing, can go on the process of actualizing people because that's going to help him actualize what it is he's after. I think that the beauty of John Locke, for me, is that he is such a flawed person, um, that he is both great and bad sometimes. Um, But above all of that, he's complicated. He's very complicated. Um, I think that a person is capable of doing something amazing for somebody else uh, and doing something horrible for another person. Uh, I think that those two things are not mutually exclusive. And I think that those things exist within Locke in a very, very real way. But I think that if it's a question of like the balance of
3: do we not appreciate this side of Locke enough, certainly as a Locke stan, I would agree. Yeah. I think that first I agree that he does have the evil look. He does have like the hunting Blowfeld look with the with the head and the scar and everything. I personally think that no matter how you view John Locke's morals, he wants to do what he feels is best for people. And whether that means a specific person like Claire, whether that means, oh, we need to knock out Saeed so that we prevent getting rescued because that's not going to be uh, optimal for us. I think he truly does feel like, and the reason why he wants to be a leader and does become one eventually is because he feels like he can confidently speak for the group. Whether or not those predictions are accurate is another thing. But I always do feel like the vast majority of the time, he is coming from a place that he feels as good. You know, I don't. I don't know how many outright evil things John Locke is going to do, knowing full and well, like yes, this is a bad thing, and I need to do it. Without also to adding on the tag of like this is a, you know a means to an end. Certainly, yeah.
2: Uh next other, uh this is coming our way from the great Brendan Fitzpatrick. Uh what's the deal with Leonard and Sam Toomey? Were they actually working for a Dharma initiative experiment? Were they looking for the island? Fit them in the cannon, Mike. Uh how do we how do we figure out Leonard and Sam and a note to to Rich Filiberto uh when we get to season five stuff for down the hatch and we're traveling through time uh for the for the lost RPG uh clearly uh Rodney and and Billy gotta hang out with Leonard and Sam Toomey
3: or they say they're Leonard and Sam Toomey like they fill in for their <laughs> shift for a second
2: oh oh shit what if they are Leonard and Sam Toomey what if they get off the island and they go on to live uh, very tragic lives where uh, one of them returns to Australia and wins this jelly bean contest, It'd probably be me because I'd use the numbers. <laughs> and uh, one of them goes and becomes the tic tac uh, or the connect four champion of uh, of Santa Rosa Mental Institute.
3: Yeah, I think that th- it could be if we're you know I think the the carte blanche or the the blank slate explanation is it's a Bula Ross exactly it's oh. They were, no. You know, they, as part of World War II, they were asked to monitor sound waves for the Pacific. There is something called, like, a number station that does exist that, that can be, that are radio stations that can be used to sort of uh, track any enemy transmissions. I think the more fun explanation is that Charles Widmore recruited them under the guise of the army to have them try to find the island so that he can uh, take claim of it again. Yeah. Okay. I'm into that. I like it. I feel it. Yeah, I'm down with it. I think uh let's get some more like uh Winmore wants the island stuff involved, you know? Other
2: number fourteen from Millie from South Australia. Millie is mad at Martha Toomey. Uh Millie writes in and says, Martha Toomey and her line, you're talking about the numbers is the worst fake Australian accent of the series. Uh Kalgoorlie, where where she lives uh isn't even that outback anyway. The outback accent, this is in quotes, that they've tried to create literally makes me want to stab my eardrums out. There's so many Aussie actors in America looking for work. Why not why get non-Australians to play these characters when it's the hardest accent to master? Uh yeah. I listen, we can't throw stones, Mike. We do bad Australian accents here with great regularity. what are you
3: talking about
2: oh uh oh, poor millie i'm so sorry millie so sorry we millie sh- uh, we shouldn't have we shouldn't have we should not have read this on the air um this is but bad. Yeah, i
3: i think that i mean it's also martha toomey says to a certain point like ohms like she takes on a weird cockney uh. accent <laughs> at one point it really seems like all over the map
2: i gotta be honest i love the character i'm a huge i i love martha toomey i think martha toomey is like such a such an oddity like what? What is happening in this scene? Uh, that I've I've got nothing but love for it. Obviously, I have no skin in the game, so I'm all the way in on Martha Toomey. Doesn't bother me at all. I, I it tickles me greatly. I'm big big fan. Big fan. <laughs> um, uh, other number fifteen. Uh, this is from Sarah Not Stripes. Jack and Saeed are so long suffering in this episode and watching them scramble after Charlie and Hurley to try to keep them from normal from mortal peril was so funny to me. I assume this is what parenting is like literally every day. Uh, Mike, were you able to relate to Jack and Saeed uh, as parents and then Charlie and Hurley are embodying Asher?
3: Yeah, I mean, I remember when Asher crawled on that pressure trap. His weight was much easier to replace but he was also spry enough to evade the bundle of pointy sticks that we keep in our apartment. Uh, no, my son is not in mobile enough to do that but i could see like the harried response from saeed and jack who are the probably the two more responsible characters in this quartet just trying to keep everything together and the fact that they do end up separated from them probably makes the stakes even worse uh
2: final other from bob with two bees uh what's the purpose of stamping the numbers on the exterior of the swan station when it was designed to be buried
3: i think my uh my sense of it and maybe i might be wrong here i thought it was just the serial number for the hatch
2: Mm -hmm. yeah
3: so and in that case it's just sort of like a formality thing right so they could be like okay that's the the hatch and this is the serial number so we can track it uh so it's less so about like it's basically saying like hey why is there a made from china tag on this doll like it has to be on there but it's not exactly the most visible
2: The thing that is a little, like, this this is why I don't spend any time, like, getting into the Valenzetti stuff in, like, my own personal enjoyment of Lost, because if the Dharma Initiative is really there to, like, turn the tide on the Valenzetti equation, they stamped the Valenzetti equation on the side of their electromagnetic energy hatch, you know?
3: (laughs) It doesn't feel like a great
2: thing to do. Yeah, it doesn't feel like the right thing to do. Uh, And also, when they do that in Season 5, like... Uh, what's the serial number? It's Oh, it's the Valenzetti equation. Okay, got it. Like, you wouldn't have had to like be like, four, eight. F-. Like, oh, it's the Valenzetti equation. I know that by heart. Yeah, maybe unless... That's why we're here.
3: I mean, I don't know. Unless maybe the Valenzetti stuff was like only contained to like a secret group of people who knew about it. Otherwise, they just say like, hey, stay away from the radio station. Otherwise, yeah, I agree. If it's public knowledge amongst Dharma, I don't understand why they wouldn't just do shorthand for stamping the serial number on it.
2: Uh, Before we leave the other section, uh, more music analysis of numbers from Jim Fells we're linking to in the show notes. The music of this episode is so great.
3: And there's so much of it. Uh, Giacchino apparently says that Hurley is his favorite character to write music for, considering Uh, uh, we talked about, like, the dodo music, the uplifting stuff that came uh, during the flashbacks, but it's so disparate from all the other stuff he does. And it's to the point where his theme appears apparently 10 times in the episode alone. It also introduces something called the numbers theme, which has, like a very X-Files sci-fi-like sound to it due to the material, and also a theme called Traps and Doors, which will be used, uh, A, when Locke helps Ben pry open the blast door, and we'll see very soon when uh, Saeed decides to close up Charlie's wound in a very unconventional way in Exodus.
2: Uh, I think that uh, my favorite piece of music in the episode, though, I could explain it, like I could articulate it, I could describe it, or we could actually just um, we could just play it here in the podcast.
1: everybody with me drinks on me hey y'all yo, who you came with who you leaving with this my line everybody with me hey y'all yo, who you came with who you leaving with everybody with me drinks on me hey y'all yo, who you came with who you leaving with this my line everybody
3: yeah i think do you think maybe michael <laughs> giacchino was so embarrassed that he just decided to like submit it under a different name well i
2: i think it's impressive that giacchino uh, showed up for work after that because like he was so shown up Uh, by that song it's like well how am i supposed to compose more music when the best piece of music that i've ever heard in my life is in the 18th episode of the first season
3: of lost yeah so
2: i think like as much as we respect giacchino we should respect him even more for continuing to work after everybody in the club
3: maybe there's like sort of like a an Amadeus Salieri like relationship between Michael Giacchino and DJ drinks on me where they were just such heated rivals behind the scenes and I knew that Giacchino knew he had to overthrow drinks on me before he really got a foothold in the game
2: oh my god okay so we've played it six times now uh in the podcast and we're obviously going to close out the podcast with it so that would be the seventh uh do you want to just play it again real quick right now so that we can make sure that we've played it eight times in this podcast yeah let's
3: make ourselves uh, lucky or unlucky here
1: with me drinks on me hey not-
3: I can just imagine the iTunes review now Josh like good <laughs> podcast but they keep playing dumb rap songs no they left they're gone
2: they're gone they're out they're out we've we flushed them out all right 23 points uh, I'm giving out two MVP points Mike is giving out three uh, Mike is then giving out two LVP points. I'm giving out three LVP points. My my job in the LVP department this week, by the way, I'm just going to skip to it, in fact, because uh, it was really my job in both regards this week felt very easy. Uh, just to spoil what I did, I put two points on Hurley because, of course, you're going to give him uh, your, your you know, he's he needs to get multiple MVP points this week. I only have two to give. I could have given it to the rap song, but we haven't really broken precedent yet that we're, on, we're only giving to characters and we don't know who that person is. So we just can't. We can't. Uh, we can't give him that. So I'm going to give Hurley two MVP points because Jorge Garcia is amazing and Hurley is amazing. And then for the LVPs, there's deaths. There's deaths in this episode. Uh, there's the there's the, the accountant who falls and dies. Uh, There's poor Grandpa Tito. I'm sorry. Uh, Eric Divestein especially, had been like, Josh, if you do that, you're a monster. Well, guess I'm a monster. Uh, And Sam Toomey is dead as well. Uh, So put him down in the LVP section. That's all my stuff. What did you do this week, Mike?
3: Hugo Reyes! Yeah, I'm going to give a third point to Hurley here. Uh, I know it's a little unprecedented. I feel like we very rarely do this. Maybe we did it during Walkabout with Locke, but this is just such a great episode for hurley like we found out so much about him man he's are you only giving him the one i, I, have, I have others that i want to give out so my, oh, my one combined with with dangerous
2: your, because we're giving him three instead of four
3: uh, yeah but he doesn't like the number so i feel like oh, giving him true. okay a give him a pass, yeah exactly so but i think the bravery he shows here combined with him bearing his soul uh, maybe to some willing parties maybe not to others uh or the others i think it's just it's a beautiful signal uh signal the character and and like you said jorge garcia's performance just showed completely new shades to the character that will keep with us throughout the rest of the series uh, i'm gonna give a point to john Locke. Uh, i'm on a little bit of a streak here with giving points to Locke, but like I we like said it. what i like it yeah i you lock it uh I, like I, it. I think that you know what he did for claire was super nice both getting her involved in the process and actually giving her a cradle whereas you know she feels like she's a burden on others he gave her something that makes her feel like she's not so you know that she can put the baby in the cradle and take care of him it makes her feel more like she's closer to home uh which she would want to be at this moment now i'm gonna give my third mvp point to danielle Rousseau. i like it yeah this i think deserved. i deserve she doesn't shoot Hurley in the face yeah she uh, shows empathy yeah and she that gets her first hug in 16 years i will also say that i think uh rigging the the former bunker to blow up should anyone... Impressive. I thought it was a, actually a pretty good maneuver. You know, it's like yeah, it Ultimate impressive. Home Alone. And I think uh, Russo, like, has it on lock. Uh, and So I'm I, it's, I'm fortunate that we won't see her again for another few episodes, but I wanted to acknowledge her here. Uh, so moving down to LVP, I'm going to give one to Charlie... Like yeah,
2: I think that's fair. Yeah, I think like he's bizarre. I just
3: think he just approaches this entire situation the wrong way between uh you know insisting to go along with Hurley, between uh, you know, all the fat jokes, and then between having Hurley reveal himself to him only for Charlie to be like, nah, JK though, right? And then walking away is just yeah. a bad look for him and their friendship.
2: Yeah, I agree. Thumbs down.
3: Uh for this last one, I had an inspiration in the last moment. I'm gonna give it to the police. <laughs> Because I was thinking, like, okay, who can I give it to? I was thinking about giving it to Sawyer because he was shirking his work. But I'm like, who can I give this to from, you know, the outside world that could come back multiple times? And I feel like we see so many police officers, some named characters, some not over the course of law. So I feel like let's get that ball rolling and see how much we can call out, you know, the follies of law enforcement. Yeah. All right. So a lot
2: of different people got LVP. So like the LVP section, like the negatives, isn't like uh, there aren't a lot of like leadership changes there. Uh, but there's some new members of the club. Uh, drinks on me uh, in the in the in the MVP section. Locke is now uh, a clear uh, on his own in his own tier, second place. Kate's still comfortably in the lead uh, with nine points. Locke is in second with six, and now Hurley joins the pantheon of people in fifth, uh, in in third rather with five points each. Uh, the, also in 5th re- he's
3: tied for 3rd, 4th, 5th with the uh, Said right. and Son.
2: Yes, Hurley Said and Son taking that up. Uh so that's that's fantastic. Let's get into to 4.2 stars our episode rankings where I give a score from 0 to 4.2, Mike gives a score from 0 to 4.2. Uh the audience gives a score as well. We uh, average the audience score, we average those three numbers to create our fourth number, which is the official down the hatch number uh you are not able to really uh, affect this live as we're going on the podcast right now but keep sending those in because they're going to be flexible until we reach the end of season one and we will lock those numbers in place when we get to our season one feedback show in uh in a few weeks from now um i'm just gonna it's it's i can't not give it uh a, a lost number i feel like it's numbers the episode is literally numbers but then you're gonna and curse I, us josh i i had such a i had such a blast. Talking about this episode, uh, I had such a blast watching this episode. I think in reality, I'm giving it more credit than it uh, than it really should get. Like uh, I credit think if, where credit like, is due. I think, like, if you really looked at it, like, there's there, you know, there's, like, uh, there's there's, like, loose parts that you could knock a little bit further, but I don't care. Lost is my favorite show. I love this show. It's almost a perfect show to me. Uh, Numbers is almost a perfect episode to me. I'm just gonna give it a full 4.2, because that's the mood that I'm in, uh, and it's my, uh, it's at least half my podcast, so what do you, you can't tell me what I can and can't do.
3: And look, I, I feel like I would be reprimanded if I did not also give it a number, even though I've also put the number out in the podcast universe this past week, so I'm gonna not be far behind. I'll give it a four a straight four i think that uh,
2: you're like talking me is into like maybe doing that like that makes more sense probably right like four, like a, a four instead of a straight four point two should i follow my heart here or should i follow you down
3: the hatch uh listen uh whether you want to charge off into the jungle on your own or go with me for some fresh wide open uh it's fine either way don't hey, right, the- well if
2: i go with you then this is a very important qualifier for whether or not i'm going to make this
3: choice mike are drinks going to be on you you know what, as long as you're coming with me down the hatch, we're leaving together, drinks will be on me. This is my oh This is my line. My this... god. This is your line? Everybody with you? Drinks on you? Yeah, I, I think uh, I'm officially declaring it. I'm unmasking myself. I am DJ drinks on me. Wow. That's why this episode <laughs> is so important to oh me. Oh my god. I moonlighted as a club owner back in the day. I had to recount my story in musical form much like a, a flashback and i got a real flashback here in one of my b-sides air on one of my favorite lost episodes
2: well my hope is that if you and i unify on the numbers here then we will negate the the damage done by your appearance on Renap uh from a few weeks well if back we did and...
3: 4.69 maybe <laughs> I don't think we can do
2: that, unfortunately. And I'm certainly not going to give it a .69 uh, because it's a much better episode than that. So you know what? You've you've talked me into it. I'm going to go with a solid four as well. You're at a solid four. Audience gives it a 3.6. Leaves it with a 3.8. And Numbers is now the sixth best episode of the season as it stands. Uh, It is in that solitary tier, which I think is appropriate. Solitary is is another 4.0 that I gave. Uh, Numbers being right alongside it feels good to me. Uh, So the the list as it stands, whatever the case may be, bringing up the rear. Then special, then homecoming, then the moth, then hearts and minds, then tabula Rasa, raised by another ooh. In translation, confidence man, House of the Rising Sun, Outlaws, Numbers, Solitary, a tie for for third between White Rabbit and all the best daddies. The two part pilot in second, and Walkabout still in the lead. And those are the four point two star ratings as it stands, Mike.
3: But I think that Numbers, you know, it's in a good spot right now. But I have a feeling. It might slip a little bit lower, unfortunately, considering what we have up next.
2: It's part of the Oceanic top six at the moment, uh, but we are getting in to Deus Ex Machina next, uh, which is a Stone Cold classic episode. Uh, certainly features one
3: of my favorite endings of any episode I'm of Lost. completely agree. Again, I don't, want to, I don't want to keep making lists, apparently. I know it's the end of the decade and people are want to do that, but I would say easily top five ending for an episode, maybe even top three.
2: So we're going to drop our podcast recap of Deus Ex Machina on December 20th. Keep an ear out for that. If you want to send in feedback for our end of season feedback show, please do so down the hatch at PostShowRecaps.com. Subscribe to the podcast, however you get your podcasts. If you get them on Apple, we've got a short link postshowrecaps.com slash down the hatch. Your ratings and reviews greatly appreciated unless you really didn't like the drinks on me bit, in which case don't review us this week.
3: Please don't insult my work people.
2: (laughs) Uh, Stay away. Uh, You can also talk to Mike and I on the Twitter machines. I'm at round Howard. Mike is at a Mike Bloom type. I was going to say at a Moom. (laughs) Don't don't bring that name back. That's a few weeks uh, that that Moom back. Uh, Mike, what a great time talking about numbers. This was one of my favorite conversations we've had yet and that feels appropriate considering We've structured the podcast around the numbers. Uh, that's a big uh, you know, spine uh that's the spine of Down the Hatch. And of course, uh, the numbers are in the great theme song by the great Alex G. Uh so what a blast finally getting into numbers territory. This is so much fun.
3: Completely agree. And that spine has not been broken yet, even though you know, if the podcast gets hit by a car in a Toy Store parking lot, that's not going to be the point where its spine breaks. So we're still gonna keep on living with that spine, but Oh, i'm so excited for next week i'm gonna have to change from connect four to mousetrap uh in yes. between recordings
2: different game different game coming up and we will be back very soon with deus ex machina in the meantime we'll just guide you out of this podcast with the greatest song ever take care everybody bye